You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. All right. We're here. It is the end of the year, and we're here to talk about one subject, one subject only, and that's not true. We'll talk about a bunch of subjects. (laughs) But we're talking uh, best movies of 2016. Favorite top ten. We're going to start at at ten. That's where we're going to put it at, because there are a lot of good movies. There are a lot of bad movies, too, but there are a lot of good movies. Uh, But uh, for Geek Elite Radio, I'm Mitch, and... Rich is also here. Yes, hello. Okay. I am Rich. And our guest today is... Hello, I'm Rafa, Mobile Rafi. How's everybody doing today? There you go, that's right. He, Rafa in the house. Yes, he's been a guest of Geek Elite Radio before. and uh, One of the best experiences of my <laughs> life. And I'm not just saying that, it was amazing. Oh, well, thank you. I'm talking about one of, X-Men. One of the best nice. guests that we've had on this, episode, on this show. by the way. Yeah. I listened to that. Yeah, it, was it was very good. good. It was very good. I mean, very anytime welcome. we can just sit down and talk about the visceral reactions we have towards movies just feels great, you know? <laughs> I, yes, you're Right, it's exactly because that's, that's what the movies are supposed to do, right? Exactly, yes. They're supposed to have some type of reaction to it. So, uh, if you have one or not, that's uh, definitely encourages your enjoyment of the movie. Uh, but 2016, what did what did everybody think of the movie industry in general? I think overall, 2016 had some really good movies. Again, a continuation of the sequels, the reboots, which for the most part isn't a problem. It depends on what kind of media you want to you know, consume. And for me personally, I felt there were a lot of great gems. There was a lot of um, bad movies. But again, that's the whole subjectiveness of it, right? To some person, maybe this movie could have been better, but another one could have been you know, their complete treasure cave of amazingness. And I thought... 2016 gave us some great comic book films and for me personally where before you know you look at the inherent value of a film and you know you look at its substance and its form and its narrative and this year for me personally i felt a lot of you know big bigger blockbuster type films really set the bar high for what a great movie could be in 2016 yeah i mean what you were saying with different mediums too is that we had we had Movies that were being adapted from either comic books, video games, or even old TV shows, and then TV shows that are being adapted from older movies, older movie properties. Yeah. So it's wild. It, it's going crazy in all the directions. And no, it's completely true. And I mean, I don't know. It's really weird for me because I felt like this was like, like even when we were just sitting down to do the like top ten list, I was like. Man, I'm like really struggling to just come up with ten that I would put on this list, but but I don't think that that's because of the industry in general. I think that's just because my life this year was very busy and very chaotic, so yeah. I, I don't feel like I got to watch as many movies as I have in the past, or even as many as I really really wanted to. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. Which I think you know that's what we were kind of having this conversation off mic when we do this next year. We'll have to wait until the year's actually done and everything's already come out and then do it. That way we can really give a good definitive look back of the of the year. And that and I've got to just find a way to make more time in the day. I've got to switch to like men in black like 36 hour days. And, oh, yeah, that's right. And, you know, just either get used to it or have a psychotic episode. But I, I mean, I got to watch more movies. Um, I did want to say, full disclosure, for me at least, because we were having this conversation right before we started recording, I thought it was something we should share with the listeners. Number one, I'm only including movies that I've seen, and I'm I'm pretty sure that's universal across the yes. board for all yes. three of us. Yes. The only movies that we have personally Watched. seen. Yes. Right. I tried very hard to remove things that I thought I would have an overbearing bias to, so 
uh, listeners, when you hear that uh, perhaps a movie relating to wars of stars and wars of civil, uh, they will not be on my list because I just felt too biased to those properties. And there is one on my list that's breaking my rule, but I'm uh, you too convinced me to allow it. Okay. So I'll allow one to slide through. So I, I would I to commend you on that because I would I would say that yeah that's probably was the, would have been the smart move to take out Civil War and Rogue One but uh, I just felt that I had too good a time at, yeah. at those movies that I couldn't in, in put them in there but you're right you, you, we have a bias going in so well the cool thing is you guys are gonna talk about them so I still get to talk you about still it. get to talk about that's it right. didn't take up any room on my list so I guess I would have to say that uh, I had the opposite. Um, mm. Problem that you had not finding had enough movies. Many. I had too many. I had like about uh, let's see, eight movies on my men- honorable mention that didn't make. Oh it on wow, the list. Oh, that's nice. I gotta that's enjoying that. the movies. Perfect. <laughs> that's, that's uh, just just to read off a couple of those, just so that uh, people, or I'll read off the whole list, just so that people know that they're not going to be on my list. Uh, the accountant, which was very hard, Ooh. so that just barely didn't uh, make it in my ten- top ten. We. Uh, Ghostbusters 2016, I really enjoyed it. As, as many people didn't like it, I, I really enjoyed it. Demolition with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, okay. Hardcore Henry, mostly because of its unique filming. Approach, yeah. yeah sure. Approach. I can see that. The Nice Guys, uh, Russell Crowe and yep. Ryan Gosling. Yep. Pop star Never, Stop, Never Stopping, which I just thought was hilarious, is the you know Lonely Island guys. That's right. Uh, Don't Breathe was very unique uh, for being a horror movie. And Passengers, also just yeah. out of top ten for me. I, I can see that, yeah. So, uh, I guess, if anybody else have any honorable mentions they want to well, get to? I just, I want to throw these out there as, as movies that I feel might have been on my list if I had watched them. Okay. Okay. So I had Moonlight, uh, uh, Fences. I, 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 I took it. this one off because I watched it yesterday. Um, Bleed for this, Fist of Stone, uh, Nocturnal Animals. Hands of Stone. Or, yeah, Hands of Stone, sorry. Nocturnal Animals, Patterson. Why did you see Nocturnal Animals? It looked really good. Didn't oh, get yeah. a chance to watch it. I had Patterson, which is the Adam Driver movie where he plays the, the bus driver. It looked right. pretty cool. Uh, which, and then I feel, uh, oh, The Handmaiden by Park Chan-wook, which I, if I could just rant about that for a brief moment. Okay. So, oh, here we go. I was in, as, as people know, I live in Phoenix, and there was one theater showing it. Really? Yes. And I finally got the day free to go watch it. Went online, checked the shows, checked to make sure the available seating there, everything was there. I show up at the place at like 3, the movie's at like 3.30, and they have a table set out front. It's on Mill, which parking, so I went down, I paid for parking, I got all the way over to the theater on Mill, and the lady looks at me and she's like, uh, did you need something? I'm like, yeah, I'm just, you know, gonna, gonna buy a ticket to Handmaiden. What's up? You know, she's like, oh, we're not open today. I'm like, well, that's weird, uh, because it's kind of right on the thing behind you, uh, saying that it's showing at 3.30. You have it all over your website. It's on the internet. It's on Fandango. You can buy tickets. I check the seating. Like, it's there. She's like, no, 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 no. We're doing a film festival today. I was like... Well, that's great. Don't you think you should have maybe put that up somewhere? Yeah, that's garbage. That I wasn't playing? So, yeah, I lost a bunch of money in parking and didn't get to see it. So, I'm, I'm super bitter about it, but I will watch it one that, of these days. That is, wow. That is terrible. Yeah, it's pretty Again, messed up. The things you'll do for the movies. Again, it's, it's, it's that experience you want. Right. My honorable mention, didn't see it, but I feel one that I would have enjoyed would have been La La Land. 
with mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling and uh, Emma Stone. Right. And so I think that would because I love musicals, and from what I hear, it's the end all to be all musicals, from what I understand. But I don't know. I haven't seen. It. <laughs> That's that is what it's being said in, in media and everywhere else. He's the one, the only people that I know that hasn't been gushing over it. Oh, okay. Well, okay. To be fair, okay. to be fair, it's not a bad movie. All right. At all. I think it's definitely getting a little overhyped. So I overhyped him. But I damn mean, rotten that, tomatoes. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're all rotten. Um, but to be fair, it is a good movie. It's definitely a, a very heavy throwback to like the Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers era of filmmaking, which is awesome. Okay. I enjoy those movies too. Uh, I would just say try to, you know, work it down some in your mind before you go watch it. Okay, so that good you're to not, know. You know, because if you're, that just happens. You know what I mean? There's some sometimes where you get so into a movie and so into the the premise behind it that you go and watch it. You're like, ah, oh, it just quite wasn't what I was expecting. And I've actually found myself trying to move away from that in general because, like, I used to like see something and I'd get so obsessed with it. I'd watch a trailer like 500 times and I'd be uh-huh. like, "Where's the secrets? I know you're hidden in there." <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like, eh, I'm gonna watch a trailer once and then I'm wait for the movie because. That's, okay, there you go. That's the gamer you know, in you. You figure if you watch the trailer 500 times, that achievement will unlock and you'll get that's true. DLC. Oh, there you <laughs> go, yeah. Microtransactions. Um, that's what popcorn and candy is. Oh. <laughs> uh, right, let, let's go ahead and get to our list then, you know. Uh, no uh, delay. Uh, Rafi, what's number 10 on your list? Um, Zootopia. Zootopia. Ooh. Out of all of the animated films that came out this year, Zootopia is one of those movies that had a lot of hype behind it, and I want to go see it, and it met all of the expectations. The music was fine, even though it wasn't a musical, but Shakira, you know, being a gazelle and singing <laughs> felt nice. But overall, the overall message of it and the fact that it was charged in so much positivity is, I feel, something that 2016 needed, and it's such a visually beautiful movie. So Zootopia would definitely be my number 10. You know, I, and and as you said, uh, one of the few, I think you said one of the few cartoon movies that you, you liked this year? Or, oh, yeah. Okay. One of the few animated, yeah. yeah I, I tend to not like any of them, and that's the one that I saw, because oh. it looked so great, and I loved it. I, I, I loved it, too. I thought it was great. I, I really like Jennifer Goodwin. Uh-huh. I think she's a great actress. Oh, yeah. Did not realize that was Jason Bateman until right. at, to the end of the movie. So I, I just like, saw his face with those Fox features. <laughs> so I was I was really surprised. And yeah, I enjoyed that one as well. Did you get to see it, Richard? Uh, sort of. I put it on Netflix because uh-huh. uh, I, I didn't get to see it in the theater, but it did come out. And I saw it on Netflix, and I was like, oh, I really wanted to go check that out. And, like, I put it on, and this was the mistake already, it was, it was right after I had gotten off set, so I'd already been on set for, like, 14 hours and, like, was barely struggling to stay awake. So I made it, like, I think quarter of the way through and then I fell asleep. <laughs> but what I saw was awesome, and I, right. I really want to go back and finish it. I just haven't had the time, but it, it did look super cool. Like, um, just the concept, too, like, kind of taking these animals and putting them kind of, like, in the human world so to speak and yep. seeing like them deal with like you know the fox is like a con man and you know him and the other kind of fox that kind of has like the Gary Coleman type thing going on where he's little and they're playing him as a child but he's uh-huh. really like an adult <laughs> yeah. I was like oh that's really cool but yeah no, I, what I saw that I really enjoyed and I could, I could totally see why it would be on there for sure oh yeah uh, what was your number 10 
Well, uh, I think you actually mentioned it as one of your honorable mentions, but it was uh, The Nice Guys. The Nice oh. Guys. Yeah, with uh, good old Ryan Goslin and uh, Russell Crowe. Uh, <laughs> I think it was written and directed by Shane Black, yep. who did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which... It's another movie that I absolutely love. I think it's oh, yeah. incredible. And, the, and, and he, for, he wrote the Lethal Weapon. He did, yeah. yeah he wrote so. Lethal Weapon. He, he's done a bunch of stuff, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I think he always does such a great job of like pairing like action and comedy together with really witty dialogue. Uh, and that's exactly what this movie is. Like, there's so much like of a buddy cop movie going on that's more buddy cop movie than actual buddy cop movies are. <laughs> uh, and the time period and stuff is kind of like in that golden age of of Hollywood, if you will. So the setting I thought was perfect. And oh, and, that was a great setting. Yeah, to the 1960s, 70s Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just perfect. Yeah, they played that up really well. And then like um, just the overall like acting chemistry between Crow and Gosling I thought was awesome. I thought they did such a great job and it was a really just fun, entertaining little action movie. That's one of the movies that I wished I'd watched this year and I didn't hear much about it. But then after the fact, a lot of people that I know came up to me and said, hey, have you seen this movie? It's actually really good. So, I mean, I'm glad that it's one of those movies. I mean, I wish it would have gotten a little bit more hype, I guess, in the theater because I really didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, no, I, I I really felt like they did a they didn't do a good job of promoting it. It it just kind of fell between the cracks for a lot of people, and a lot of people that I've shown the movie to since uh, have been like, that was really good. You know, probably not as they weren't as enthused about it as I was after I watched it, but yeah, it, they they thought it was really good. I gotta say, I feel like that's kind of the general theme for 2016, though, was that like all the marketing for movies just went from like. Five thousand percent in 2015 to like 125 percent. Yeah, <laughs> because like there was so many movies that like I it would come out. And I'm like, oh my god, that's already out. Yeah, and I felt that. I, I yeah, it just seemed like that was one of those things where it just didn't have the same. Well, I you know I, I just feel and that's one of the one of the great things for me, but downfalls of the industry I think is because like a lot of the money make or the money spent on advertising goes for these studios are going towards the big comic book movies and the big yeah. sci-fi movies and you know the the big blockbusters instead of spending any money on the smaller movies but even those i feel like with the exception of probably suicide squad uh, cuz that got way over marketed but um, oh, yeah. uh, the rest of them though like i didn't even really see that much stuff for like deadpool or civil war well deadpool's not true i did see a lot for that but like civil war and some of the bigger ones there, like Doctor Strange. I could say Doctor Strange, but I felt like Doctor Civil War had a lot of maybe a lot of advertising yeah. for it, and Batman v Superman also had a whole bunch. Like we saw true. footage from that like two years before the movie even came out. So yeah. well, that's true. That was a, there yeah. was a big campaign market for that. I suppose that's true. Uh, my number ten would be Rogue One: A Star Wars Story, and oh, wow. that's all the way at number ten. Squeaking in that little, it, it huh? did. Uh, I mean, I, we we already did our special on it, and yeah. I, you know, I I said my piece about the problem, my problems with the movie, but it still was a good movie. I I felt for the characters most of the part, and I I loved that it added to the story that we already know. So I agree. I I, I, I enjoyed their coming back to that story, basically. I'm very curious to see what manages to continue to go above and beyond. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, Rafi, number nine. Mine was Tom Ford's Nocturnal Animals. Oh, I did see it. Okay. And going into it, 
mind you, Tom Ford's directional debut was something very interesting. It was very decadent, if I could describe it in one word. It felt very Baroque. And what I mean by that is it... You have Amy Adams, who's this character who has a lot of money and wealth, right? And a lot of the scenes that she's in feel very hollow and very cold. A lot of black monoliths and just shiny surfaces. And it feels very cold. So that feels really cool. And Jake Gyllenhaal is, you know, this this author who comes in and basically used to be married to her and says, hey, I'm writing something. Can you take a look at it? And the parts where she's reading his story and it goes back like in flashback mode where she's kind of seeing it happen. Jake Gyllenhaal's performance is one of the most visceral things that I've seen all of 2016. Um, it is a movie that will make you feel very strongly about, you know, the state of the world as far as, you know, an evil person versus a good person. And there's really no way to really describe it besides it just being a very strong experience where you're feeling, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. It's a movie that I felt had two things working for it at all times. One, again, being a sharp contrast between the most evil of life being in somewhere where it's very colorful, very vibrant. And then, you know, the beauty and the lushness of wealth ends up being actually, you know, a complete cold lack of feeling. And it's just a very good parallel between the two. I love that movie. Oh, now I'm really upset I didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, it is well. <laughs> that's so amazing. It, it does, and it looked amazing. So it I'm, I'm glad that it's on your top ten so that I know what to look forward to. Go check it out. It's, <laughs> it's one of those movies that'll make you not think, but it'll make you go, it'll make you feel. And you'll have like a pit in your stomach. It's, Ooh, it's amazing. That's good. Kind of like Nightcrawler. Kind of like Nightcrawler, yes. <laughs> God, it was a good movie, too. I want to watch it. <laughs> Well, what's your number 10, Richard? Uh, or number nine, sorry. Like, well, we, We're going to go about, back to 10 again. Like, we'll talk you. about it again if you want. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. I struggled a, a, a tremendous amount with, like, uh, coming up, obviously, with my, my 10 movies. And then, of course, like, what order to actually put them in, which is insanely hard because I love them all, I think, for extremely different reasons. Um, this movie, however, though, I... I, I don't know. I feel like... I know most people probably don't agree with me on this. I know you specifically don't, but... I really you can't bring Mad Max Fury Road in this again. <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Damn it! Um, all right, let me change tracks real quick. No, um, no, like Nicholas Wynn Refn is probably one of my favorite directors, and I feel that like I have a lot of connections to him. Um, just like and listening to him talk about films and how he got into film, and uh, he's also dyslexic. And that's kind of why he started telling visual stories is because reading was really a struggle for him. And, and that's kind of the same, you know, issue that I have. So, like, I have that connection with him. But then, like, all of his movies that he's made, I've absolutely loved. And that's why I say you don't agree because I know you don't like most of his movies. The two um, that I've seen, I didn't like. Yeah, but uh, he put uh, The Neon Demon out this year. Oh. And I went and watched it. And it is... Uh, First off, a lot of people are going to watch it and just be completely like, what the fuck is happening? Because it is crazy. Sometimes those are the best movies. Right? I get that. It's very, like, David Lynch-esque, in a sense, in the terms of, like, you'd rather be a confused audience than a bored audience type of situation. I like that. Right? Uh I like that. And that's pretty much how this movie is. There's a lot of, like, symbolism, and there's a lot of kind of these hidden uh, tones that are talking about society and the current state of, like people in general and vanity and all these sorts of things and you take that and you mix it with uh Refn's ability to have these amazing contrastive visuals and just these incredible like you said visceral experiences and that's what the neon demon was for me like it was just 
unbelievably beautifully shot and and the story is very kooky and very weird but you can't help but be drawn into it and so that's why it's my number nine okay all right i don't know if either one of you guys watched it, i know i no, didn't I watch have it not, but it sounds like it'd be who's in it uh so it has a dakota fanning sister l fanning yeah uh keanu reeves has a, a brief part in it okay um jenna malone is in it and then there's a couple other people that are uh, i guess kind of more known for things outside of being in film like i think there was like a couple models that people oh. were a little bit more familiar I with i wasn't but there somewhere too yeah there it's a pretty diverse cast but the biggest two would be keanu reeves number one and then probably l fanning would be the yeah second. i watched or jenna malone and then probably and, and i don't know i know we, i haven't talked okay. about it too much on the podcast but i watched uh, Drive, and I just was really disappointed with that movie. And then, uh, what's the second one called? Is God Ki- or Only Man- God Forgives? Only God Forgives. Yeah. Okay, I keep wanting to say uh, God loves man kills, but that's comic books. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Only God Forgives, yeah. and I just I couldn't get around that one. So well, that's the, that. that's the third one in kind of his silent protagonist uh, trilogy, if you will, because he did Valhalla Rising. I never watched oh, that, which is really rising. good. Also, oh, yeah. yes, so that is something where perfectly showcases. I'd rather have a confused audience than a bored audience. <laughs> so true. And it gave everybody that Mad Mickelson's like as an actor. That was kind of his coming yeah. to America, if you will. Was it in Casino Royale before that? Yeah, but most people, I, I, I no, I don't think Casino Royale was before that. I think it was after that. Was it? I think it was, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, so, well, but that's where I, I should. Okay. I'll, I'll just broad throw my perspective. <laughs> it, on it, was, it was the real exposure. Yeah, yeah, yeah there we go. Fair enough. Fair enough. See, there we go. Uh, what about you? What do you got on your? My number nine, nine and uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys got to see it, but I thought it was an incredibly funny movie, and it came out of really left field for me. Bad Moms. Kristen oh, Bell. Damn. And, oh, okay. uh, I didn't see it. I didn't see that either. I'm lo- Meg from Family Guy. I can't, I'm losing her name at the moment. Mila Kunis? Mila Kunis, thank oh. you, yes. Yeah, and uh, Christina Applegate has somewhat of a small role in that, but I, I, I could not stop laughing throughout that whole movie. Mm. It was so funny and, and really like different for the movies that are probably marketed towards... Uh, you know, more middle-aged women and stuff like that. It's always about the the guy that they're trying to, he's, she's trying to fall in love with or catch or whatever you want to say. But this is about a mom who feels stressed and and you know needs life to be a little bit different. And that's exactly what you get in this movie. And it's it's just really great. Like mm. I, I loved every second of it. So I, I had I had to put it on my list. Neither one of you saw it? I didn't. No, I didn't. I, didn't. I remember seeing the commercial for it. I remember seeing it at Walmart and going, I feel like I'd want to see this movie. But then I, I didn't, Well, I, if, if my opinion, opinion means anything, give it a try, because I thought it was incredibly funny. I'll have to check it in. We're going from there. If we're going by opinion, please don't crucify me, but my number eight. <laughs> I just, That's a good segue. I, I, like I, couldn't, segue. I, couldn't, I couldn't not put it on this list, because it did so much for me personally. I loved Batman vs. Superman. Oh. And when I say that, for me, yes, it wasn't perfect by any means. But for what did work, the music, the first time that I've ever seen a Batman origin story brought out in a title sequence done so beautifully, um, it was just a movie for me that 
met all the expectations for the most part of what I wanted for Batman and Superman. Did it go on for too long? Yes. Did they have to have as much as they did? No. Um, was Wonder Woman my favorite part of the movie? Of course. Of course. <laughs> but for me, so, certain pivotal scenes really showcased to me, when you can suspend your disbelief for a second, it showed me that I can have Batman and Superman coexist in a universe and some of those fight sequences, the Batman scene in the warehouse where he's just taking out everybody in his path is one of the best choreographed um, action comic book scenes I've ever seen on the real screen. So I really like this movie. I thought visually it was a great film. You can really see that Zack, Zack Snyder really likes the movie Excalibur with a lot of the symbolism that he uses <laughs> in a lot of his, his scenes, especially with the final scene with Doomsday and Superman, which I thought was pretty sweet. But overall, I really enjoyed it, and I'd be a liar if I didn't include it on my list. (laughs) That's where I'm at. Look, on and off podcast, I have railed against this movie. I've had I had so many problems with it, and but I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Look, when Iron Man first came out, and we had the and the you get the the end sequence where Nick Fury comes out and says, "You think you're the only one with superpowers?" I know the two worlds aren't aren't connected, but guess what? All we thought about was, can we eventually get Superman and Batman in a movie? Yep. And we did. We got Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman in a movie. Yep. That blows your mind alone. So there there are a lot of good things about it, but the bad things in that movie oh, really... Yeah. And I agree, it yeah. Out of it, it really does. Movie. And again, it's that whole... Oh, for, for me, again, Rotten Tomatoes, I think, did a disservice, <laughs> but... Ugh. It, it, it happens. It happens. <laughs> I hate rotten tomatoes. Um, Anything you want to say about yeah, that? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely want to chime in because uh, I would I would not crucify you for having that on your list. I, I I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think everyone's kind of wanted to see this happen so far uh, back that you look at, what was it, uh, 2007 when I Am Legend came out? And oh, there yeah. is a promotional sign right there that's Batman versus Superman. It's in the fucking movie as a billboard. And it's like, yep. yes. And I agree. I think the biggest problem they had with it happened before they even started filming, and it was a problem with the script, which is they took these two amazing comic stories of the death of Superman and the Dark Knight Returns, and they were like, hey, will it blend? The answer is no. Let's let's force it. it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, the answer is no. It doesn't blend. If you would have done one as a, you know, like, did the, the Dark Knight Returns, just focus on that story, it would have been a fantastic movie. Do the death of Superman. That would have been a fantastic movie. But do them as separate movies. They're yeah. both too good of an original content to try and rip the just these highlights out of and, and mash them together that you're missing all of these, like you said, little nuances like with the opening title sequence. That nuance of you know his father clenching his fist and showing that he was about to take some degree of action totally goes against Batman's history where his parents did nothing and now it forced him on this trajectory of having to take action to make sure that nobody f- suffers this again. It changes the whole persona of Batman at that point. It and does. just the slightest of details. There's so many more of those within both of those stories that get completely left out just because of timing. and it, yeah. Which is crazy because the movie is already very long. Hours long. <laughs> super long. Oh, yeah. But that's that's my thing. I, I definitely there was moments that I, I loved within that film, and I was like, yes, I could totally see what you would have wanted to do if you were left to your own volition, but it didn't work out that and, way. Yeah. And as much as people bash on Zack Snyder, I will always be a fan of Zack Snyder. He, oh, yeah. He's given yeah. me movies that I have loved. Oh, I love his his uh, style. Mm-hmm. I love his yep. direction. 
and even making Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, I don't fault him. So, no. oh, exactly. Number eight, Richard. So, um, for me, going from uh, one comic book avenue to another, um, <laughs> it's going to be Doctor Strange. Ooh. I really didn't know hardly anything about this character. Um, and I think that's mostly just because my comic background tends to stem a little bit more from the quote-unquote independent side of things. Okay. Um, as opposed to the big two. Which, you know, I, I do have some characters in there I love to. <laughs> but... Uh, I just thought it was really refreshing because lately with the comic book trends, it's been uh, building into the bigger and bigger ensemble cast films, which again, I've loved, obviously, you know, Civil War was incredible. Um, But for me, I thought this was really cool because they were taking this character that uh, I would argue probably the vast majority of film goers have probably never heard of or maybe have heard of him once or twice. And even without that, I sat in a completely crowded theater and just listened to these people have these like remarkable reactions to these moments within the film. And also, the other reason I think it's on here is I think this is the first film that truly is a definitive film in the sense that you have to watch it in 3D. I, I think beyond that point, everything that's come out with 3D, uh, when it's non-gimmick 3D, when it's there for scale and depth and, and things like that, is good. But when you see it in this film, they they literally went in and were like, okay, we're going to use 3D as a story element. We're going to use it to do this and to do this. So much so that when I was like reading about it afterwards, the director was talking about the, the special effects team. They were having problems converting it from 3D to 2D. Because they're like, well, it's losing these feelings and this this emotion that's supposed to be there. And I could see that. Because like when you watch it and you start seeing these sequences of the city like kind of folding in on itself, you're just like, oh, that's cool if it's 2D. But then when you see it in 3D and it literally like is these massive buildings and there's so much scale and depth and there's this tiny little person in the middle of it, you're like... It, it really does kind of have that out-of-body experience that Dr. Oh, Strange wow. himself has, and so that's why I, I put it on there on my list. That's funny. It is also my number eight. So. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, see, great last uh, thing alike. I Dang. think that uh, it might not have gone higher on my list because I didn't see it in 3D. So I, I wonder if I if I really hurt myself not watching it that way. Uh, I think we were we were talking before uh-huh. the, the recording, saying we were saying that there was, there was a lot of great things about it, but there was still... Sure. Some, felt like something was missing, and maybe that's what it was. I, maybe that that could have that been, what, been the thing. What was missing? Did you not is. watch it in 3D also? I did not watch it in 3D, and when I watched it, I loved it. But to me, I didn't think it was as great as a lot of people made it out to be. Sure. Um, for me, it was kind of I loved Benedict Cumberbatch and what he was doing as Stephen Strange. Absolutely. I thought he was fantastic, and I felt that the humor wasn't as funny as it normally is for me. Not until he puts on the. The cape. the cape is that the real the moment where I'm like, oh, I'm just like, oh, this feels like a Disney Marvel film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but before that, it felt like something completely different, which I enjoyed. And uh, you brought up this very good point, Mitch. Um, off off when we were talking was that this is the first time that we have a lot of great actors. Yeah, this might be the best acted Marvel film. I completely agree with you on yes, that. Yes, I, definitely. I would say you know between that cast was it was before making this movie are incredible. You know they, I don't know how many. You know, awards they have between them, but oh, it, oh yeah, it's, it's enough <laughs> to fill them. the room that we're sitting in. They have all the awards, <laughs> all the awards, them. right? But uh, I and also one of the greatest things I thought about that movie was that in uh, for a superhero movie, especially a Marvel superhero movie, which especially for an origin story can get very formulaic. You know, they yeah. they have 
away they go. And I love them. I love them all anyways. But this one, instead of having the massive fight battle scene at the end of the third act, we get a, a, a character that uses his wits. He uses his smarts yeah. to outsmart the bad guy instead of you know just straight up having a fist fight. And I just thought that was incredible watching it. I was like, this is something different. This is what we want to see in our superheroes because each superhero is diverse. If you read comic books, not every one of them just uses fisticuffs. You know, they they use different ways to to come up with to come up against the bad guy. So can I jump in there real quick? Because yeah. I I want to I want to have a, a quick dialogue about that but i also want to ask another question of both of you uh, in regards to dr strange but you brought up a really great point and uh, obviously you're a batman fan just from uh, your number eight and i know you're a huge batman fan so with that being said i always feel that that's one of the biggest problems with batman in film is that they always show the action batman which don't get me wrong yeah. i love because i love the punisher but when i always think of batman it's funny because i i very rarely ever think of the physical violence i think of the mind i mm, think yeah. of him being a tacticianer and we've never got that batman movie and i'm hoping that it's coming with ben affleck's script uh, of batman but i always thought like a detective batman movie that was more based around forensics and him being a tacticianer. I always thought that would be a great experience. What do you guys think about that? I I never really thought of it that way. I think that's great. I can just see, I just think of a combination of Batman, but also like Sherlock. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to talk about Benedict Cumberbatch and just a, yeah, a Batman that uses his wits because that's who he is. He's the detective. He's That's what he's doing. He's trying to bring that. But I guess because of, you know, we always look at Batman as, you know, this tough, almost omniscient being that can always win right no matter what mm -hmm. and so people get lost in the fray of believing that yes batman is only good for uh, for you know fighting he's a great martial artist he can beat everybody up in the in the justice league of that no powers <laughs> but the thing is that people forget he doesn't have to yeah. he has a brilliant mind he's always thinking he's always focused and that's where the two true beauty of it is and that's why my favorite robin was always tim drake mine too because again he's the detective yeah he's yeah. the best send-off for batman he would be the best batman mm -hmm. and i mean i love you know dick grayson though get me wrong jason todd eh, he's okay and then, you know with damien it's fine but tim drake was the one that was really you know he should have been the real batman because that's what batman he's is. the proper successor to exactly, exactly. Yeah. pass on the cow if uh like and that's the one of the problems i had with batman v superman was that they really cut that element out of batman the the whole he's a detective he can figure things mm -hmm. out you know he, that movie he's very much led around oh, by absolutely. lex Luthor and, yeah. and everybody else for mo for the most part and then uh, you know, in Suicide Squad, I don't know if anybody put that on their list, but I'm going to bring it up. You know, he's asking Amanda Waller for those files. It's just like, I really feel like Batman would have got those some other on way. Own, yeah. Oh, yeah, but for sure. That's, you know, when I, when watching Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, Sherlock Holmes movies, that's what I feel like a Batman movie should yes. be. Watching Jack oh. Reacher, Tom Cruise in the first Jack Reacher movie, that's a Batman movie right there. That's a man figuring out what the actual crime was and still being able to use his fisticuffs when he needs to. So what you're saying is Jack Reacher is the best Batman movie you've seen. No. <laughs> without Batman. <laughs> without Batman. Yes. Without Batman. The best Batman movie I've seen, and I posted this the other day, was Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Best Ooh. Batman movie ever. That's a good one. Interesting. It's just, it's just a great movie. My other question, not to drag this out, but my other question was, is are both of you familiar heavily with Doctor Strange via the comics? Familiar, yes. Fluent, no. <laughs> yeah, same here. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Because I was just going to ask if maybe that had a, a 
impact on on how you saw the film? I mean, obviously it, it, it would. You know what I mean? Because I, I really, think if you're a fan of anything prior to them changing it, the medium in which you consume it, it's going to have some degree of yeah. of weight on your interpretation or, or your you know consumption of that. But I just didn't know if that might have been what was like missing. You know, because you'd kind of mentioned the humor, and I was like, oh, I wonder like if in the comics. Because I have like no comic book knowledge, but like I've not read any Doctor Strange comic or any comic that I think he's in, for that matter. So I was yeah. just curious if maybe that was something that was in the comics that they had overlooked, or just perhaps didn't have the ability to quite capture the same via film. So I know from what I had read, I don't think Stephen Strange was ever really that. He's very serious. Okay. I think now with the whole Marvel now and them pushing for this new um, re- revitalization of the character, I think now they're adding more humor. Yeah. Especially in one of my favorite scenes where him and Tony Stark, you know, they become the famous um, facial hair brothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would have to say that, and, and I, I found this, I don't want to say phenomenon, but, you know, this definitely happens a lot, especially with comic book movies. For me, the characters that I don't know well, I end up enjoying a lot. Like, Okay. Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't. I didn't know anything about Guardians of the Galaxy characters before going into that movie. That movie is probably one of my top. Oh yeah, it's, it's a great movie. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and it also happened with uh, with Warcraft. I, I I don't know anything about the world of Warcraft world or Warcraft or anything like that. I thought the movie was okay. I thought it was pretty good. A lot of people that play the game don't like it, and I can understand why because I probably feel the same way about Batman v Superman or Suicide Squad. It's like those are characters I know. I know the backstory. And the history for all the, those uh, stories, and when they, I feel like they they screwed it up or you yeah, know, misused it. I get that. I, I just feel like, oh, why are you doing that? But that could have happened in Guardians of the Galaxy, and I sure. have no idea. Which it probably did because Groot isn't isn't what Groot is portrayed in that. Like he's a darker, menacing character in the comic books, or at least he was until they they used him in the movie. Uh, you know, that's not the original lineup of the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's not even what the Guardians of the Galaxy is. But the movie was great. Yeah. You know, because I didn't have all that pre-known uh, information. Yeah. So that's how I felt about Ant Man in 2015. I thought Ant Man was just phenomenal. Didn't really know much about the character, but Paul Rudd. I mean, I just, I just think I have a crush on Paul Rudd. I don't know why. <laughs> we all have a crush. Every, on Paul Rudd. <laughs> but that was like, like with Doctor Strange. I think that was you know the favorite for sure of the Marvel films for the most part in 2016. You know, but like the silent, like the silent dark horse for me in 2015 was Ant Man. Yes. Because again, it's like it was a he- it was a Disney heist film. But a superhero movie. Yes. And no, that was that was exactly. Sick. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with you. I loved Ant Man. I thought it was awesome. But it didn't come out this year. So that was my number eight as well. So what's your number seven, Rafi? My number seven is if I I, I can never pronounce his name. Yorgos Lanthimos's The Lobster. The, oh, oh my goodness. You were one of the few people that I've actually heard seen that movie. Okay. So The Lobster by far is again one of those movies that focuses a lot more on not no, not so much on the narrative, but the style of the filming, right? Um, I read somewhere that if Kafka and if um, Wes Anderson had a baby, he would make this movie. <laughs> and I can see that. I can see that for so many different reasons. Awesome. Because it is a dark satire. It's a black comedy on relationships. And there is so much... It feels so hollow at times when you see the performances between Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz. But what it is is... It elicited such an emotional response from me because the beginning I'm watching, like, okay, this is kind of like one of those quirky, kind of awkward. I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh or not, but as it continues to go, the film just got stranger and stranger and stranger. <laughs> and some scenes like made my skin crawl. Like, there's a scene that I'm not going to really mention for those who haven't seen it, but there's a scene with the dog. And I 
there are so many moments that I've seen a movie that it just made me feel. So, uh, I didn't know how to feel. It was too much. Like it was an overload. I had to stop the movie for a second and then come back to it. And when a movie I think can do that, I think it's doing a good job. Whether it's positive or negative, I think it's doing something. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and then there's so much to interpretation because again, it's. The first time I watched it, I didn't really laugh. It just kind of like it's kind of something that I experienced. And then watching it a second time, now I caught on to more of the humorous aspects. And it's kind of one of those films where you can put in your emotional affect into it. And so the lobster, what it was portrayed as in the trailers is not what you saw in the final movie. And I know that some people were turned off by that because it wasn't what they were expecting. They were expecting some kind of a quirky love story <laughs> and that's not what it was. No. And I think that's what worked best for it because again, it, it, it was, you felt very immersed in it. Let me ask you this. How did you, how did you watch it? I watched it on uh, Amazon Prime. I didn't see it okay. in the theater. I, I rented it because I was going to buy it because it was in the stores and I, I heard about it. I was going to either it was going to be that or Swiss Army Man, which okay. I didn't end up watching. But really? I decided to watch The Lobster because I heard that it was it was good. It's it's worth watching. That's what I heard from my friend. So I, I, I instead of doing that, I rented it on Amazon and I watched it and then I watched it again. It's kind of one of the things that, again, it's you're, that, that's how I experienced it. And I know, uh, I don't, I know that you talked about it on your other podcast. We are entertained. Well, you didn't watch it, but uh, one of your co-hosts watched it. Mm-hmm. Have you had a chance to watch it since then? I haven't. Um, again, I I really hadn't uh, heard anybody that had had seen it that was like strongly, strongly like, hey, you know. I think a lot of people were kind of like what you said. They they were expecting something other. And I personally, I think that's brilliant. I've always thought that that would be hilarious to like market a movie as oh, like yeah. a romantic comedy, and then you get in, and it's like this horrible drama that's like, you know, like a Shakespearean <laughs> tragedy or something. <laughs> yeah, like basically, you know what I mean. And so I I am on uh, on board for that. I think that's wonderful. But no, I, I haven't seen it of you. Well, no, I haven't. I mean, I love I love the way that Rafi explained it. That he went back to watch it a second time just. So that he could understand it better, and it's like you know, you know, most people don't do that. I, I would say that there's there's movies that I don't, I never went back to because I didn't like it the first time. But uh, I, I mean, going back to it a second time to, to understand it better is just awesome. Now it's it's it's, it's kind of like food in, in, in a way, right? It's so like when you're a kid, there's certain foods that you eat, and you're like, oh, this is effing horrible, this is gross. But then <laughs> when you're an adult, you're like, this is the best thing ever. This is delicious. Yeah, and so like, I, I think it's really good that you that you mentioned that too, because I think there's also this kind of like. Uh, collective mindset nowadays that if you first off watch something that you maybe don't understand or you don't find yourself connecting with your initial reaction nowadays it seems is to run to the internet and just tear it apart oh this was crap whatever whatever and it's like well okay if it's not your thing maybe just walk away from it you know don't don't go and trash it for the sake of trashing it it's very easy to do that and so many people fall victim to it so easy to do it nowadays and I hate it even more when someone hasn't even seen the movie but they'll read the review and they're like oh this movie yeah it's trash I can't believe it like shut up what was the part that you hated the worst Oh, I didn't see it. Yeah, I just, no, but people hate it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like the part where the lobster showed up and <laughs> was without cheddar biscuits. So my first exposure for that movie was uh, Colin Farrell was on Nerdist podcast this year, and he was promoting it. And just the way that he was explaining the movie, because there's a lot of parts you know he couldn't really explain without giving away too much of it. So he's just like, sure. I know a lot of people aren't going to like this movie. Yeah. I have I have to play it very. Like he was explaining the way that he he plays his character, it's very uh, monotone. Like he even yeah. that's the way he explains it, and it's just like I'm like, 
he's kind of bashing this movie, but he you can tell that he loves it. He loves the idea of the movie, and he loved that he made it. So it really intrigued me. I just hadn't had a chance to go see it. And seeing that, did you say that, his monotone performance, that's basically what that movie was, too. Oh. Like, he's kind of an homage to what he's doing there. He gained 40 pounds for that movie. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's wild. I definitely want to watch it, though. Yeah. Yeah. You're number seven, Richard. Yeah, so uh, I think, I don't know, I feel like I'm kind of in a, a similar situation with you and the lobster in the sense that like there was a movie that came out that um i didn't really hear too many people talking about and uh i eventually got the chance to watch it uh, via a rental basically and uh it was hell or high water uh, oh, i wanted to see that yeah i i was completely uh, blown away by the movie because it came out and, and i think it had a pretty small theatrical release and i just didn't really hear anybody like raving about it. i'd heard a couple people say yeah it was really good but i mean that was kind of it, it was very low-key and then when I watched it, I was just like, this movie's incredible. Like, it's it's really remarkable because you have Chris Pine and you have Ben Foster. Um, Two great actors. They, they really are. And I, I think... And I think Ben Foster doesn't get enough He does oh, not. By, yeah, no. not at all. Super underrated and, and underappreciated. But I, I feel like this movie's the same way because I sat down and I watched it and I was thinking like, okay, it's just going to be like this you know, movie, you know, and then it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's a really current, you know, social commentary of things that are going on and problems that we have in the world. And, um, you know, sometimes you might have to find yourself in a situation where you have to do things that are potentially less ethical in order to stay afloat or, you know, the banks are screwing people over. And it's like, yeah, that's happening every day. There's tons of people that, that are getting screwed over by a system that just blatantly doesn't care about them. And to see this movie come along that not only the acting is top notch, the directing's top notch, the cinematography is breathtaking. I mean, like this is one of the best shot movies of the year, in my opinion, like the, the, the way that they filmed it is just remarkable. And they used kind of a different approach to, capturing you know the um the aspect ratio for certain landscapes versus interiors and things like that which give you just these remarkably different vibes while you're watching it but i thought it was a great movie i don't know if you guys have seen it or not but i, I know you said you hadn't yeah, right but yeah and i i had and i just yeah. you know it, it is one of the, the the few movies that yeah you're right that it just didn't get enough advertising and I know it was in my local theater for probably a week, maybe two weeks, and I, and I really wanted to see it, but I just didn't get a chance to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved it. Like this, like I don't know uh, what the, it is with Jeff Bridges in like his later <laughs> part of his career now that he feels he needs to just do this role where he's he's this old cowboy. But I mean, he's doing it great. Yeah. I love it. Uh, it I don't know. It's just it, it was such a it was a great movie and very very topical. So mm-hmm. uh, glad you you brought that one up. Yeah. More about you. What was yours? Well, I would say probably this is probably one of my few movies that isn't uh, wasn't one of the more superficial big ones that everybody saw because you guys have, I've already thrown out great ones that you know people might not have heard of, uh, but Sing Street. So ah. I don't oh. know if anybody is if you guys have gotten a chance to watch Sing Street yet, but uh, I had heard about this one just coming out and uh through a, a different podcast so I, I seeked it out and watched it and if anybody knows me or has probably listened to our podcast knows that i'm i don't put a lot of stock in music like i don't get the emotions that are evoked like most people get from from music and stuff and this movie is all about a young irish teenage boy who falls in love with this you know, a girl that's probably like a year or two years older than him in high school 
and he wants to impress her, so he, he creates a band. He tells her, I'm in a band. Would you be in a music video for me? He doesn't have a band at that point. <laughs> so he just goes and finds a kid that is playing an instrument. He's like, hey, you want to be in a band with me? He's like, all right, we need more people. And he's like, all right, let's go find some kids. And they just find other kids that are just doing their own thing. And he's like, you guys, you know how to play drums? He's like, I can bang against this, you know, bucket here. He's like, that works. Let's go. So <laughs> the, and him and the other guy just make songs. And the songs that they make are so good. They're very creative. Like their original songs, the, the so the writer director of the movie he created them. He he did the whole that all all himself, and it's 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 a period piece because it play, takes place in the eighties. So a lot of the music that he's creating, the young kid is creating, is albums that are given to him by his older brother who wanted who had dreams of being a musician, but now he's kind of a well, he about in the house and stuff like that, and. He, it's like his musical awakening, the kid's musical awakening, but he's also, you know, uh, putting stuff together just to impress this girl. I don't know. The movie, I just really felt was was great. It had a great tone. It you know, it really left me upbeat and and really had me respecting the music, which for me is a hard thing. So that's why I probably put it so high on my list. Oh, nice. That makes perfect. Have either sense. one of you gotten a chance to watch that? No? no, I you know I feel really bad saying this because you've told me I think like five times <laughs> now to watch it, but no, I still haven't. Uh, I still haven't gotten to it. But as soon as you were like, "Hey, it deals with the '80s and music," and I was like, "Oh, I love '80s music. Maybe that's a thing that happens in the movie. I don't know." But yeah, I definitely want to check it, it out. It is available on Netflix now. So, nice. oh, is it? Yeah. Nice. Oh, fantastic! I heard about it literally like three days ago. Oh, really? And I heard like, "Oh, it sounds good," but I didn't. Know if it was still in theaters, but it's on Netflix. Perfect. It is on Netflix. Yeah. It's available. So mark my words. After this, that's what I'm gonna go watch. And then you'll see it on Rafa at the movies. There, there we go. go. There Love you go. it. I can't wait for that. Fantastic. So this is what number six now. Number six. Yeah. Mine would have to be Arrival. Ooh. Contact Such for a great movie. 2016. Ooh. I loved Arrival, and so Amy Adams again. You know, first Nocturnal Animals, now Arrival. I think this was one of her years for sure. In Arrival, what I liked so much about this movie is I thought every year we have a blockbuster sci-fi film that people love, right? Gravity, which I didn't really like. Either did I. Um, Interstellar, uh, you had The Martian. And now, you know, people are talking about, oh, is it Passengers or is it Arrival? Arrival, by far, was the better movie, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I think Arrival was great for, like, the small details, especially at the very beginning where you don't see the alien ship until she physically sees it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a very good attention to detail that made it worth watching. The extraterrestrial beings were very interesting, which I thought was really cool. And more importantly, I felt that it was one type of sci-fi film that evolved into a different type of sci-fi film as it continued to go forward. And I don't see enough of that in movies anymore. And as a big fan of science fiction, I felt that it was beautifully put together. It had moments that actually scared me for a second. It had moments that made me really feel for the characters. And though some people can argue that um, the romance that happens, like, you know, in the final scene between two characters is kind of forced, I get that. But in order for the plot to work, that's what has to happen. So I was okay with it, but I really enjoyed Arrival. I've watched it at least four times already. Oh, I, I think I've seen it twice, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that's, it was such a, yeah, it's such a great movie because I love the movies that that are science fiction, but are grounded so much in the science part more oh, yeah. than the fiction part. Primer, and, you see yes, Primer, yes, oh, Primer, Primer's great, incredible. Uh, uh, the Martian, Martian, uh-huh. I thought was so so yeah. good. Um, but I, I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, uh, how do you like? Do you prefer when you watch uh, 
alien movie like that, do you prefer your aliens to be humanoid or non-humanoid? See, that's that's a hard question because most of the time, a lot of it's it's either you know humanoid, grays, whatever you have. Mm-hmm. But I like. I like an alien that I haven't seen before or I'm not expecting. Mm-hmm. That's why I like Starship Troopers so much when I was younger because that was an, a bug alien I've never seen before. Right. Right? And so I do really enjoy f- aliens that aren't so much as humanoid because it makes it more it, – it allows me to feel more more chilled because mm. that's something that I've never seen before and just putting myself in the shoes of the person and just imagining how would I react. I'd probably have a heart attack if I saw something like that. <laughs> um, and, and they play that very well. Like mm-hmm. when, they're, when they're going like, what do they look like? Um, oh, you'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> so like that, that gave me like a mini panic attack because I'm like, what, what's going to happen? And so then when the reveal happened, I thought they looked more like hands than like weird squid things. Right, but right. I thought that's, that's what I like from those. Yeah. And then just the the unique storytelling in that movie was just awesome. Just, oh, yeah. You know, something completely different. And, uh, you know, we don't want to get into to spoilers on this, but, you know, just, I don't know. The, the way that the things for me just came out of left field was just, which is usually pretty hard. I, I, I don't have the, those yeah. moments where you're, I'm just like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Yep. So that, that was great. Uh, do you want to talk about it anymore? Uh, well, um, yeah. Um, but maybe we'll circle back yeah, okay. to it. Oh, okay. How about I see what you did there. Yeah. See? <laughs> um, what are we on? Six? six. Okay. So, yeah. My number six. Um, first of all, I totally agree with everything you guys just said. Um, okay. Just get that out of the way. Um, but no, my number six was a movie that uh, I saw the trailer for, and I was like, I'm on board for this. This looks effing cool. And uh, I think it's one of the few occasions where I kind of hype myself up or something, and then I go, and it's actually even, you know, hype level 9,000. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I watched it, and uh, I, I I thought it was remarkable, but uh, it's The Accountant. Yeah. Ooh, with, yep. uh, yeah, with uh, a good old movie. John Barenthal and Ben Affleck and... Um, uh, uh, Anna Kendrick, um, and, uh, the older gentleman that's playing Gordon now. Yeah, um, he used to be J. Joe Jameson, J.K. Rowling, Jake, or not, not J.K. Rowling, J.K. Simmons, J.K. Simmons, the other J.K., a J.K. about J.K. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, he was in it, and then um, I, I, you know, I the the biggest thing, and, and again, trying not to spoil too much i guess but i thought the really cool thing for this number one was the fact that they they took something like autism and they kind of just allow it to be a normalized thing yeah. um which i think is 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 great you know anytime you have that or um anything like that in a film it, it tends to kind of be almost uh, sometimes ex- exploitive in a, in a sense that they're like oh well, we're gonna put it in there but we're not gonna focus at all on being accurate with it or representing it in a way that shows it as a as a you know a livable condition um and so i thought that they handled that remarkably well and i thought that was cool but then what really got me was kind of how everything when you get to the end of the movie like you can kind of predict what's going to kind of happen yeah but it's a prediction that doesn't take the movie away from you like no. you're okay yeah. with it happening that way and and when it kind of gets to the end and it, it kind of brings everything into light and everything's full circled you're like wow that was actually extremely well thought out plotted out you know the story beats are very well charted and detailed and it makes sense. And it, you also get this incredibly awesome action sequence of Batman fighting the Punisher, which who doesn't want that? Like, let's right, exactly. get more of that. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? We, we deserve that. And, right? And it also takes a topic that 
or not a topic, but a subject that probably in any other medium, for me at least, would would bring me to tears of boredom. Forensic accounting, right? Like, <laughs> right. like you shouldn't put those two words together because it just sounds bad. But it's true, man, was did he make it seem exciting? Like he found where that money went. That was awesome. He, <laughs> he threw it on walls. But yeah, I loved that movie. So I'm so yeah. glad that you put it on your yeah. list. What about you? What do you got number for six? Uh, number six, and I assume it's going to be on your list somewhere too. Uh-oh. Deadpool. Ah. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, such a great way to start off the year for superhero movies. It was yeah. back in February. Uh, just the idea of what had to go through to make this movie yep. also adds to how much I like this movie. Uh, I mean, we had... Wolverine Origins how long ago? Uh, it was X-Men Origins Wolverine. How long ago? We saw Ryan Reynolds playing, playing Wade and then Barack Pool. But, uh, <laughs> you know, to put it, yeah. after that movie bombed, every, Fox just kind of put the whole idea of Deadpool away. Yeah. Which probably is a good thing at that point. But Ryan Reynolds, for however long, was just pushing and pushing for this movie to get made. And who knows who is the one that put that test footage out there online mm. we don't know <laughs> wonder who that could have been <laughs> but it got out there people got hyped about it and they made that movie and he i i don't know maybe he just respects the character because he everybody told him that he should play it or maybe he just respects the character because he knew it, it, it would sell well or that it's that deadpool such a hyped character right now I, but I really feel like he he loved being that character. I think the I think the thing is probably this, and this is just my fantasy interpretation of it. But at least <laughs> is that I imagine Ryan Reynolds was sitting around and like somebody's like, "Hey, you you should read Deadpool because it's you." And then he's like, "What? What does that mean?" And then he reads it, and he's like, "Jesus Christ! They wrote a comic book about me!" Like, <laughs> I, I, like that's because I mean well, he's like that born for the role that happened in blade three well there you go they were, they were filming blade trinity trinity and one of the the uh, was it david s goyer no it was one of the uh, production hands one oh, of the, really? just one of the pas came really over and said a pa said something or, i don't know if it's pa or grip or whoever but it was one of the the crew and he came over and he said have you ever read deadpool because you would play the hell out of it and handed him a deadpool comic book that's and amazing. He loved it since then. At See, least that's how the story. And we must well. thank Blade Trinity yes. for where we're at today. <laughs> because I think you make a really good point. It's kind of I think back when X Men Origins Wolverine came out, I think people didn't know how to handle that point. Probably we never mm-hmm. would have. But I'm glad that Ryan Reynolds, you know, had for the most like the balls to do it because it came out and it took. I mean, the movie industry by storm oh, yeah. rated our film that just got everybody to see it. And I think that in itself was something special. I that scene rated that movie. opening, that opening sequence. Awesome. Oh, my <laughs> and, Great. And the fact that the movie Maximum maker effort. wasn't afraid of taking shots at himself oh, and, and the other people making the movie. Yeah. Or are you Jackman? <laughs> <laughs> And that, to me, is really the, the, the like you said, going to Rated R. The, like, the fact that the studio even allowed that, number yeah. one, I think is incredible. And then number two, yeah, it's it's you know, they did that, but then they certainly, I think, also handled it very professionally where you know they had him doing advertising and stuff, and it's like, look, like this is not for kids. Don't take your kids to see this, which I thought was you know a good, commendable way to handle it as well. But yeah, yeah. no, like I, I hope that's how that story went down, because to me, like that's how it would play out <laughs> on my brain, and I think it's fantastic. But yeah, they, they, the visual effects in the movie too 
like absolutely incredible. They nail the origin story. I mean, there's a few things yeah. here or there that they, you know, might have, have slightly up. switched up. But other than that, like, it's probably the closest origin story that we've gotten so far in a film format. I mean, it's pretty spot on. And the fact that they did it and then, like, it, teased a sequel pretty much right away at the after the credits yeah. roll, like, that, too, is phenomenal. And then, you know, the fact that Fox cut their budget right before yeah. shooting, you know, they, that's... It, it, what they did with what little they had, I, just more power to them. And so that's why it was my number six. Ton of money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Number five, Rafi. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Awesome movie. Ten Cloverfield Lane was that psychological thriller that people got... I don't even know if people got hype about it, but I know I did. Because when the first Cloverfield came out, I, I researched everything that I could to find out what it was. There was a point in my life where I thought it was going to be a live-action Pokemon movie. I don't know why, right? So when they came out, like, oh, kind of a sequel. Hell yeah, I'm going to go watch it. And I was expecting something completely different. But what I got surprised me and in so many great ways. John Goodman can play crazy so well <laughs> i don't feel paranoid in a lot of films but watching this movie i felt very paranoid and i feel that if a movie can make you feel that again it's doing something fantastic because from the very beginning it's great because you know uh, mary elizabeth winston she comes in and so she's she's stuck right basically in this doom prepper house saying you can't go out there's aliens and so the whole movie like are there really so as an audience member you're asking yourself is John Goodman lying <laughs> or is he not? And so they, they managed to, to, to set the suspense so well that it's palpable. There are so many moments where you're just thinking to yourself, what's happening is can, can you don't know who to trust. And I think that happens in a sense where you feel like, okay, maybe this person's not so bad or maybe this person's the fucking devil. <laughs> right. And so I think all of those elements made for a really great visceral, again, viewing experience. Did we need to have the last 10 minutes of the movie? Yes. No. Okay. There you go. Again, people no. argue about it. No, we didn't. I think... Yes, we did. No, we didn't. I think if you watched it either way, I think both of them have something to say. I yeah, like the whole right. idea of like, oh, if, if, if there are aliens or if there are not aliens, because I'm not going to spoil it, it's still beautiful either way, I feel. I love that movie. I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, uh, I, yeah, I remember when that movie you know, came out and going to watch, I think I watched it three times in the theater. John Goodman deserves an Oscar for that. Oh yeah, movie. yeah. Oh yeah. The fact that the movie, the, the literal mood of the movie changes with the change of John Goodman, because at uh -huh. first you're afraid of him, so the movie plays off as being you're afraid, and then when she comes to be like, oh, I'm not so afraid of John Goodman, the movie becomes you know playful, they're like, like oh, they're look. becoming a fan. It's three people in a bunker throughout that whole movie, and then. Once again, the movie changes again when she the way she feels about Johnny. Oh, it's just like, oh, he just plays it off so well. And what a great testament to the actual film. Three people in a room, and you're just enthralled from beginning to end. Well, that's the best way to do it for your budget. Because anytime you can <laughs> oh, yeah. have limited actors in one location, it's really hard to pull off, but it's good. And I have to agree with you completely. This is actually, uh, will be let me briefly mention it, because <laughs> it is higher on my list. But I have to say, like... I'm probably one of the few people that was a pretty major fan of Ten, uh, or not Ten, of just Cloverfield, like the first one. Love that. Because so many people were like, oh, I didn't like it, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't like, like your impression of me. I wasn't saying you, Jason. <laughs> I mean, if the shoe fits, wear it, but uh, I was talking about other people. Um, but sure. No, and, and, you know, I think one of the things that was really interesting to me was when they were like, oh, well, it's kind of a sequel. I was like, oh, that's interesting because. 
so many people believe the first one is about aliens and it's like it's not it's a sea monster and yeah. like when you go back and look at all the viral marketing campaign and stuff they had like it clearly illustrates the timeline of how this sea monster event unfolded up until the oh, point yeah. where the movie starts whereas with this one it's the complete opposite of that like they're giving you basically nothing of what's really going on other than this guy might possibly be batshit crazy yep and then you go through this whole event, and and you and he is, but you are right. There are times where, like, uh, for example, the uh, Devil's Rejects, right? Mm -hmm. it, it is this group of people that you should never be rooting for. It are these people that do horrible things. They kill people. They wear, like, skin as outfits and shit. But in the Devil's Rejects, you are, like, rooting and cheering for them to win. Yep. And you shouldn't do that. And that's exactly what happens with John Goodman. There are times where you're rooting for him because you're like, wow, this poor guy, he's not crazy. He's just yeah, misunderstood. Completely. But then other things happen. You're like, well, I don't know. And so <laughs> to craft a film that puts you into the direct mindset of, of the protagonist character as she's experiencing all these you know valleys and, and peaks from his character... I think that's truly remarkable storytelling. You know, oh, yeah. I really do, and I, and I completely agree with you guys. I think it's it's a wonderful film. Yeah, uh, and you know, one of the things I heard about this movie before watching it was, you know, Dan Trachtenberg basically filmed this movie all underground and in secret. Like most people didn't even know what was going yeah. on. And yeah, you, when the trailer came out, people were like, "What? There's a Cloverfield sequel?" Yeah, yeah. you know, and that and I think that was like. Um, maybe two months before the movie came out when that trailer yeah. popped up. So yeah. it's just like... It was a quick turnaround. Yeah. And their budget was minuscule. It was like Very $5 million, dollars, yeah. which is considered shoestring budget <laughs> in, in even the indie film. Like right. Yeah. Well, it depends where you're at. But for most things, like, they don't really, you know, you don't really get into, like, a feature until you're in, like, the $25 million range. So, I mean, to be below that and to put a film so out far with below it. those actors, you know what I mean? Like, John Goodman's an incredible actor. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's an, a remarkable actress as well. So, I mean, to get them on board, I mean, I think that's just a testament to how good the script was because, I mean, I can't imagine getting that and then reading it and being like, wow, like, <laughs> I'm going to play this character. That's pretty crazy, you know what I mean? But, but yeah, I mean, to do all those things and, and to still make it as, as remarkable as it was, I thought an incredible achievement of the year in film for them. So That was... Number five. Was that your number five? That was my number okay. five. So you're yeah. number five, Richard. Uh, my number five is um, Don't Breathe. Don't uh, Breathe. Yeah, yeah. So one of my honorable mentions. Right. I, you know, uh, speaking again, it, it kind of keeping with the, the, the trend, 10 Cloverfield Lane, I thought it was a very different approach to um, making, quote unquote, a horror film. Although I don't call it a horror film. I think it's a psychological thriller, personally. But okay. it's I kind can, of... I can see that. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. too, yeah. yeah. It's kind of... They, they market it a little bit more as it's a horror film. It's also kind of a reverse home invasion movie. It totally yeah, is. Yeah, which is sick, right? Right, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, you fucked up. That's, <laughs> that's nobody else's bad. Like, you didn't just, you know... Like, Jason didn't just show up and try to kill you. Like, no, you went out of your way to go into this guy's space and fuck with him. That's your bad. Yes. Like, you went into the cave and poked the bear. You get eaten, that's on you. It's on you. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's one of the the, the, the movies that, uh, like you're saying, like when you go and you watch it, you 
just get totally taken aback by what's happening. It like it gets under your skin very quickly. And and there's parts where you're feeling certain things for certain characters and you're like, ooh, you know, and then something else happens, you're like, oh, I can't believe I was ever in that guy's corner for like two seconds. But yeah. but then you're like, well, again, they kind of instigated this. This guy wasn't going around looking for, you know, and and, and the trauma and stuff that, that his character goes through, it's, it's crazy. But to me, there was a few things that I had some issues with, but very, very minor, and I don't think they really impacted the overall experience at all. But I thought the acting was just remarkable across the board. Um, Stephen Lang does such a remarkable job in this. Yes. Um, and for a movie with this kind of content, like there was just so many times in it where I genuinely felt like the whole theater was just holding their breath. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and and it had such a great job of building this tension and continually escalating it uh, and then you get to the end or close to the end and you're just like this is so disturbing and and so terrifying but yet it's such a different approach to that type of of genre and to that type of storytelling i thought it was wonderful so and i believe the the director of that is the same one that directed the evil dead remake Mm -hmm. and i liked that movie too i thought i mean i liked the original evil dead and i liked the remake so i just feel like i don't know what else that uh, director is doing or has done, but I, I really like his style and I like uh, the way that he, he approaches films. So I, I yeah. can't wait to see what else he has coming up. I completely well, for sure, yeah. Uh, what about you? What I, do you what I do you got on your my list? number five? Um, oh, why did I close it? it oh, no, that's <laughs> not the right one. There it is. Okay, my number five, which was already mentioned, Hell or High Water. Oh, uh, I, I nice. also enjoyed that. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I remember looking for it and thinking I, I want to see this movie just because of the actors that were in it. But mm-hmm. when I got to see it for the story, it, it just captured me. So, yeah. and I, we already talked about it. So we we'll did. go ahead and go on to movie number four, Rafi. Mine for sure. I remember my buddy told me, "Hey, Rafi, you should totally watch this movie. This movie's right up your alley." I'm like, all right, I'll watch it. And it was The Witch, a New England folktale. Nice. Robert Eggers produced a quality film that not only felt creepy, but it was all atmosphere. The, the way that it's shot in the locations, specifically in, in, you know focusing in a Puritan time and focusing on ideas of witchcraft and whether or not there really is you know a monster behind your house, whatever concept you want to build, it creates this experience where you're watching. And again, it's a very slow burn. It's a slow burn of horror. And sometimes you know it's very hard to, to stay with a movie like that. But because of how beautiful and dark some of the scenes are focused, and every now and then something happens that completely throws you off track of what you thought the movie was going to be, especially with the final crescendo of the, fa- of the final scene, it puts everything in perspective and creates this, this ex- viewing experience where you're enthralled in the movie because you are connected there and you feel like you're an outsider watching a section of someone's life. And it's creepy, it's atmospheric, it hits you really hard because visually it's a treat. Visually, if you even had just it muted, if there was no dialogue, it's a beautiful looking movie. But next to that, considering that I believe it's Johnny Greenwood who creates the soundtrack for it, it's kind of like There Will Be Blood where it's very dissonant, nice. very sharp, very angry. You can hear tension within the strings of the soundtrack. So the score really adds to it. So it adds to that atmosphere. And then because, again, it's a slow burn, 
you're watching these characters interact and you don't really know, okay, is this something that normally happens or is there a witch in our midst? And I think that added to a whole new level of the viewing experience that I loved. So The Witch by far had to be one of my favorite movies because I can watch it again and again. And though normally a slow movie can't take you out, because it was so slow, it kept me in. Mm. And I remember just starting to watch it and then it felt like five minutes had passed and the movie was over. It was it was so it was great. I loved it. And I'm glad to hear that because that was one on my list of movies I really wanted to watch and I didn't get the chance to. And I, I also did not watch that movie, but I had heard it being compared to a lot this year uh, with It Follows from last year. Ooh, so I don't know. I can see that. I don't know if it was story-wise or just uh, the way that it was shot or, or what, but, you know. Visually and story-wise, I can see it. Um, for sure, not the score, just because It Follows had one of the best retro-sounding... Disaster piece represent. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Disaster piece handled <laughs> I, it. That guy's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's incredible. I, you know, I, pro- it, I remember hearing about the movie... But it really was not on my radar. It's just not one of the ones that, uh, you know, the horror movies I just don't tend right. to watch often. But uh, with that resounding uh, review right there, I definitely have to now, give it a chance. question. Yes. Is it a slow burn because there is a witch burning? <laughs> You're just going to have to find out. <laughs> Dang. But keep this in mind, though. I mean, this is not for, you know, for a casual viewer, someone that just comes on and wants to see a scary movie. Don't watch it with your friends. Don't watch it when you have something else that you're doing. If you have an hour and 30 minutes to just sit down and just watch something without your phone and, you know, you're in a quiet, secluded place, that's the best way to watch this movie. Watch alone at night in the dark with headphones on. Watch out. (laughs) That's the best way to watch movies, in my opinion, is is just headphones and and let yourself just really be taken aback. The few times that I've watched horror movies i have to say that i like going to see horror movies with a large crowd in the movie theater because i think you get more i think you get maybe just for the jump scares those movies that are a jump scare like that not like the witcher or the witch obviously but like you get the whole group like paranormal activity yeah like paranormal activity you get more out of it when you feel everybody else's tension around you for sure don't get me wrong like i I love to watch movies that way. Like okay. I, I love being in a theater and just feeling the the energy that's going through a crowd. I do, but I'm just saying, like when I want the true connective experience, uh, and, and when I say that, I mean like the experience of me trying to dive into what the director was really trying to give me. Right. Uh, that I think is the best way to do it is to isolate yourself as much as possible and just let that film consume you entirely. Because I feel like. There's so many times where that happens, right? Like, uh, I'll give you a perfect example of, of where I think that happens. Um, the original Ghostbusters, okay? Okay. If I were to watch that in a theater for the first time with a crowd of people, it would be an amazing experience because it would just be remarkably full of laughter and it would be crazy, right? The problem you have with that, though, is that Ghostbusters is one of those films where when you watch it again, there is so many like rapid fire nuanced subtlety jokes that you will miss probably six jokes from someone laughing at that first one that triggered it and that's the only time where i'm like you if you really want to get you know that movie into your essence like isolate yourself like or any movie i'm not just not just ghostbuster but like if you really want to have that that true immersive experience and and let that film become a part of your soul isolate yourself because it is a remarkably different experience than you will have any other way i completely agree yeah 
For but but I, I totally agree. And I, I yeah. totally agree with you, too. I mean, if you really want to connect with what the director or storyteller wanted to show you, then it, watching it by yourself is probably the best. And that's the beauty of filmmaking, right? Because oh, filmmaking is narrative. It's story. Yeah. We want story. Right. And so more so than from a book, with film, it's kind of... You're 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 watching something from the view of somebody else. So it's kind of you're looking through the lens of someone's perception of what reality should be. Mm-hmm. And when you're taken for that ride, I think it really adds to a lot of the masterful storytelling. And that's why I love movies yeah. because, again, it's there's good movies and there's bad movies, but it's all subjective. It's all the ride that the director puts you through. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a good director will make you know crap feel like gold. Or sometimes it can make gold feel like shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Couldn't have put it better. Uh, we're on number four. Yes. My number four. You already said your number four, right? Uh, or did no, no? No, we just was, we finished okay, talking about we just, the witch. I just but, over. but we just talking about it. it was Deadpool. So Deadpool. Yeah, which I loved. I thought it was amazing. I love Deadpool as a character. Uh, I think that was like one of the 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 true. Uh, first comics that that I really got into. I mean, like, previous to that, I think the first comic that I really kind of got into was uh, Michael Turner's Fathom, and that was just because of Michael Turner's art. Like, I wasn't really that into the story, obviously, but... I mean, the story's good, too. I'm not saying it that way. But, like, I remember, like, when I first moved here, and, you know, you were, like, talking to me, you're like, hey, you know what? You should really read this thing. And, like, going over to Atomic Comics and buying at the time, because Deadpool wasn't really around. It was Agent X. Right. And, like, buying those and, like, getting into that character, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then going back and, like, really discovering, like, Wade Wilson's journey, I was like, this is a fucking awesome character. And so thank you for that. <laughs> um, but, but again, I thought that's why the movie really shined is because it really grabbed that origin and it, it just went crazy and they nailed everything with it. I mean, like so many people, I remember like, uh, you know, there was someone that was having that conversation with us about, oh, well, you can't do a Deadpool movie because he breaks the fourth wall. And I was like, yeah, Ferris Bueller's day off. <laughs> and then when you get to the end of it, it and it has reference. a Ferris Bueller day off kind of homage, I was like, yes, thank you. So, yeah, so that was and, it. And that was the one that you were almost going to admit from your I was because, your list, yeah. Because I, you have a bias. I do, I do. Uh, you know, it's just like when I do, um, like we're going to do one for video games, right? I cannot put Fallout on there. I, I never can because it, it's one of those games that grabbed me. Like, I mean, I remember playing the demo for it, like before the original, original Fallout even came. I remember playing Wasteland, you know, which was kind of Brian Fargo's real introduction to it, and then Interplay got it and it became Fallout. But like, it's just it holds such a place, a special place in my heart that I just I don't think it's fair to stack that against those things. And that's the same with Star Wars, like. Yes, even the prequels. Like people are like, oh, I hate them, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but it's Star Wars, so yeah. it's magical. Like no matter what, it's magical. Like I can be analytic of it, you know, analytical of it and critical of it, and say, oh, well, you know, there's this, and that's what we did in, in, in the Rogue One episode. But it's Star Wars. Like there's just something so perfectly magical about it that yeah. I just, in good consciousness, I can't put it on my list. That's all. Fair enough. Yeah, but I'm glad that you said. But I did. Put I did let it happen for Deadpool. Uh, but you didn't put it at number one. You put it. You put it at number four. So I, d- there you I go. did. I was at least a little fair with it. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number four, and I'd say this is that I didn't hear too many people talking about it, but I loved it. Green Room. Oh. So I don't know if either one of you got to see this, but you know this story about this. Basically, college band, or not a college band, that sounds like a marching band, but there's these college-age kids that are in a band, a punk rock band, and they uh, basically book a gig 
that they weren't expecting to do, and it happens to be for a bunch of uh, neo-Nazis. And it's out in the middle of uh, northern Washington, I believe. Right. And, and trouble ensues. Yeah, and trouble <laughs> ensues. You know, it, and just the, the storytelling, it, it, it's, all, it's all pretty much real time. And, and the idea of what, you know, what would you do in this same situation really creeps up on you. And it's just like, you, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would I would survive. I mean, it's not to give too much weight, but that's what this this band has to do. They have to survive the night. And you get an incredible performance from Anton Yelchin, unfortunately, you know, one of his last. Uh, you get a, another incredible performance from Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is chilling in that movie. Chilling. Not a better way to put it, but chilling. So you did see the movie? Yes. Okay, well... Yeah, there's not much more I can say other than people should go see it because oh, yeah. Completely. You know, saying too much about it would just give it away. I, I watched uh, what was like the first ten minutes of it, oh, and then, like the the rental that we had kept messing up, and I haven't got to watch it. Yeah, well, so I'm still really bummed, but I'm glad it was on your list because I, I I probably should have put it on my list of movies I really wanted to see, but I didn't get to because I have not heard just, anyone say any bad things. That's about what I'm it. saying. I and but I haven't heard much people talking about it's it. It's true. Yeah. It's very true. It's very like uh, film people. Like, yes. People that are very much yes. in love with film are the people that are talking about that movie. But I think that's even more impressive because you have. I mean, not not to say that we're you know film elitist or film snobs, but in essence, we kind of are. You know what I mean? Because we consume so much content. Film geeks. That, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No, I'm not saying like in a, in a derogatory way, but right. just in general, like it's it's always interesting to me when there's certain films that resonate more with people that find film in general just closer to their 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 heart. And I feel like Green Room is one of those movies, so I'm I'm excited to watch it. Is it on Netflix? I don't know. No, Damn it. I don't believe it is. No. Last time I checked, it wasn't on Yeah. There. Come on, Netflix. I think it's on Hulu, though. Or not Hulu, Amazon. I would also like to point out very briefly that uh, for someone who, quote-unquote, doesn't like music and it doesn't speak to him, that's the second film <laughs> that has revolved around a band in your top ten. That is true. <laughs> so it's true. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, we're down to our top three. Top three. Whew. All right. So for me, my top, th- my number three movie of this year was Shin Godzilla or Godzilla Resurgence. Nice. Nice. So 2014 came about and Godzilla came out and I liked Godzilla. Sure. I thought I, I enjoyed it. The whole marketing, let them fight, got me hyped. <laughs> it reminded me of being a kid. Yeah. But with Shin Godzilla, it was something completely different. Hideko Anno, who created uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, one of my favorite animes, you really see a lot of callbacks to the things that he loves. And so the whole purpose of Shin Godzilla, yes, it's a it's a reimagining of a Godzilla movie. And visually, it's really awesome and it's a lot of fun. But on top of that, Godzilla is the most menacing I have ever seen a giant monster come nice. out of the ocean. And to me, those kinds of concepts, like, like movies like Pacific Rim are perfect. Just something that comes out of the Cloverfield. Something comes out of the ocean. Oh no, what am I going to do, right? And what worked so well about Shin Godzilla is it's not like the American version where it takes one person to really do something and to stop these monsters. It's a group. It's the bureaucratic red tape of government to come together. And when they are efficient, they can take down a giant monster rampaging (laughs) through their town. It's funny, which I wasn't expecting. had a lot of great humor aspects. But most importantly, there were things that I wasn't expecting. The music... Again, felt very Evangelion. There are so many parts where Godzilla, there's one scene where he's using his fire breath for the first time. And it is 
one of my favorite scenes in a movie that I've seen in a long time because it's just explosive and you're like ah like the whole time I just felt goosebumps I felt like a kid again that's amazing and then the ending scene felt very creepy because there's something that you see that's like wait what 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 so it's it tries to be a couple of different movies it's a movie at its heart about overcoming a monster and you don't really know anything about this monster besides the fact that it's Godzilla but but even though it is Godzilla because it looks so different at times and it's continuously changing in certain respects it's something where you can go, okay, this is a monster movie, and this reminds me... It has a good poignant scene of of beauty that I felt the original Godzilla had. And I feel like has been lost through the Toho generation, him always fighting big monsters. This wasn't that. It was a movie about humans trying to get together to stop a monster from destroying their city. And I thought it was done beautifully. That's amazing. I, I, I remember when the, uh, the Garth Edwards... That's his name, right? Gareth, Gareth Edwards, Gareth Edwards. Uh, redid Godzilla, and uh, it was so funny because uh, I too share an affinity for Godzilla. I, I think it's a great franchise that a lot of people don't appreciate sometimes. Um, Me? No, no. I, I, I'm just I'm looking at both of you because it's I'm conversational. Putting, I'm, I'm not, putting it out there. It's me. I'm I don't I don't appreciate kaiju movies. Trying to shoehorn anybody into anything, but. Um, it was so funny because I remember when the trailer for for that came out, and I was like, "Oh, I was like, man, last time Americans tried this, we had Matthew Broderick and yep. this other weird <laughs> reptilian thing happen." And yep. I, I was like, "Ah," but then I saw the trailer, and holy shit! Like when yep. they're jumping out of the plane into the smoke, you're like, "Oh man, we're gonna see a bunch of people fighting Godzilla." Eh, not so not, much. Not, not so much. <laughs> so I think it's super cool that in this they've kind of gone back to that because, like, I do also want to see that movie as well. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think it's kind of cool that, and lo and behold, it you know obviously takes somebody that kind of comes more from that background to to do it that right. way. But I think it's awesome. So I definitely want to check that out. It's cool to listen to you talk about it. And that's one thing that I think I like from what you said because I didn't watch it myself, but. The when in the Gareth Edwards Godzilla, you know Godzilla is the hero. He's the mm-hmm. the one that comes to save the humans. And I just I was like, no, Godzilla's the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's supposed we're we're supposed to band together to fight him. And hearing that's what happens in this one, or at least it to an a a, a a part of it. Um, I like that that idea, so I might I'll have to go give that a try as well. Yeah. It, it's funny. I, I'm telling you, it's it's a funny movie, but it, it's serious when it needs to be, and I think that's important. That is, that's awesome. I definitely gotta definitely gotta check that out. What broke your top three, Richard? Oh man, um, my top three we already talked about, uh, but it was Ten Cloverfield Lane was my number three. Oh nice. Yeah. I, I just again, I just I thought it was an incredible movie uh, across the board with everything that was in it, with the exception of the ending. I have my own edit that I would like to do of the end, where I would just, you know, I would, I would, I would approach it uh, very um, Steven Soderbergh esque and just cut it off at a certain point. It would just stop, and yeah, then like, you, huh. yeah, and then you'd Steven be like, Soderbergh does not know how to end a movie, or it just you, always ends it abruptly. Right, right, and that's and what that's I would that's do. good, right? Because you're so into it, and then if it were to end abruptly, right. you're like. Wait, what, what happened? And exactly. I think that's also good in films when it makes you... If a movie can piss you off sometimes, I think that's good. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think it depends on how it pisses you off, but I totally True. agree. In, True. In, in the proper aspects of, of pissing someone off, I think that is a great thing. And I think that that's unfortunately what... The, the one kind of thing I didn't like about Ten Cloverfield Lane, I think, was just the 
oversaturation of explanation at the end. And it's yeah. like the mystery was what made that whole journey worthwhile. And so, again, a subtle nod at, at an explanation is, I think, more than efficient for, for that movie. And, and I, I think that there is a point in my mind where maybe one day I can do a, my own just re-trimming down of the ending and just chop off a certain part. And I think if I watched it that way, I'd be like, this might have been higher on my list if that had happened. But nonetheless, it's pretty high. So I think that's funny, seeing as how the two of us are so separated on that last 10 minutes, that True. ending of that movie, and it also came in at my number three. Really? <laughs> wow, nice. 10 Cloverfield Lane is my number three. Fantastic. Uh, I love that ending. I love the aspect that we did, that they... Uh, we're able to throw that in at the end and tie it in more heavily to the other movies mm-hmm. and uh, you know her driving away and having to make the decision at, at the end at the crossroads and the little cro- literal crossroads right yeah. there yeah. she has to make a decision so uh, yeah great performance as we said by everybody in that movie and uh, mm-hmm. just a great thing so and something that you and, you and I talked about, Mitch, was the idea of anthology, right? Oh, yeah. And I feel that's something that we don't have a lot of anymore. And so for you know Cloverfield itself to be this anthology of stories, right? Something that can become bigger than it is, Twilight Zone. And we see it in Black Mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Oh it, my God, it develops yeah. something where you have these increasingly creative and, you know, focused narratives that make you want to learn and feel more about it. And I think that's what good good storytelling but also good sci-fi does is it kind of puts you in a situation and like, okay, this kind of shares the moniker of Cloverfield or whatever it might be. And then that kind of adds to kind of the hype. It makes it something bigger than what it's supposed to be, which allow more people to actually watch it. Well, and, and, and to, to piggyback off of what you're saying there, I think especially with the state of film – I think it's a smart idea, right? Because if you look at, at really where it's at right now, it's all about established intellectual properties yeah. and, and utilizing the brand recognition, which is funny because we were just talking to uh, uh, another guest that we had on our show, Tim uh, Stavers, about this. Um, but I genuinely feel like anthologies are a smart move because it allows you to use a pre-existing brand recognition, but in a way that it's not a direct sequel, and so I think it's smart from that standpoint, too. And I hope that that trend, now that we've had this and now that we're getting Black Mirror, hopefully that trend can start kind of moving a little bit more heavily into the to the film industry and allow us to start getting maybe a name we sort of understand, but a new experience every time. Yeah, I exactly. think that's a good way to use and, brand recognition. And uh, Yeah, exactly. And I have to say, 2016, probably more heavily than any other year, uh, the idea of shared universe is being yes. so utilized. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's not new. We've we've had it before. It's even been in the past. But mm-hmm. the the idea that Marvel has a shared universe, you know, there might be a Pixar shared universe if you look at it that way. Yeah. If you follow the evidence, there's you know we have uh, these different Star Wars films now. We have uh, DC is coming out with their own, and and Cloverfield having its own shared universe now, and we get to see these stories from different perspectives that literally aren't the same tone but are part of the same universe just makes everything i to me personally i know we're all we're just drawing from the same well over and over but it makes me feel happier because the worlds yeah. are expanded mm-hmm. feel more connected and i think yes. that adds to the viewing experience yes and, and, and then you can find like okay so you know one of the persons that did that did, did that a lot before in his earlier career was kevin smith yeah. you know you have all all those movies with the jay and and bob shared universe they they all exist in that same universe, but you can have one movie that you don't like and the one movie you do like. Like, 
I don't. I'm not a biggest fan of, of Chase and Amy, but I still love the fact that it's part of the that universe right. that mm-hmm. it, it exists with all those other movies. So yeah, it gives you a better appreciation for certain things that maybe you wouldn't have. Yes, sure. exactly. And I think that's important. Yeah, and Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino does that as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Like all, all of his movies, movies are supposed. And to it's be great for a fanfare too because. It can always put that in your mind, like, oh, imagine the the moment that this character meets this character. Exactly. And so that allows you to create your own stories, which just completely immortalizes that mm-hmm. storytelling in some way. And, and with Tarantino, like when uh, when like that that's more of a, a film geek or film snobs like know know that those universes are shared. When I explain to someone that you know. Uh, Vincent Vega and uh, his brother in uh, Reservoir Dogs are brothers. brothers? They're like, yep. what? You know, it just completely blows their minds. It's just like, yeah, those movies are all connected somehow. Maybe you get that, and you get all of those those Easter eggs too. Where yeah. as as a, a fan of that creative person, like you can go back and watch like seven or eight of his movies and be like, oh. Oh, 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 my God. <laughs> like, you get those moments where there's those little things, and everybody else is like, what, what, what is this guy doing over here? What just happened? But I, th- and I do. I appreciate that, too, and I think that's awesome. You know, it's one of the biggest things that I really enjoyed about, like, The Force Awakens and Rogue One is you get all of those little nods back to uh, other content that was created. So I think it's fantastic. And I think that connection creates a better sense in the actual film. It makes it greater than what it could be, mm-hmm. which is why I put Captain America Civil War as my number two. Nice. With a segue right there. <laughs> Boom! Mind you, I was so salty and bitter, okay? Okay. After Batman and Superman came out because it wasn't what I wanted. I had to watch it two times before I really like learned to appreciate it more. So I wanted Captain America to not be good. I mean, as, as I hate, as I mean, I love Marvel, don't get me wrong, sure. but I wanted it to not be good. So I went in there with that. And leaving the theater, it blew my mind in the best ways possible. Again, when you talk about a filming experience, most people, maybe most snobs, whatever you want to call them, you know, they'll try to look at a movie as far as, well, you know, that's a comic book movie. So, I mean, it's whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that changed when Captain America, um, the Winter Soldier came out. Because that wasn't just a superhero movie. That was an espionage, thriller, action film. Mm -hmm. It was great. And what I thought Civil War did so well is it had a great story. And they just know how to write a good narrative. Because whereas Batman and Superman, maybe it was too top-heavy, too much narrative, fight scene, narrative, big fight scene. With, With Civil War, you had, you know, some narrative an awesome fight scene. Some narrative, an awesome fight scene. Some narrative, an awesome fight scene. It was better balanced. Yes. And with that, it had so many callbacks to so many moments that as a fan or someone, because now at this point, most people have seen these films. Oh, yeah. And so because of that that moment, it allows people to better connect with different characters in different franchises. And on top of that, it has the big spectacle feel, which I thought was important. But something that I feel people need to always remember is that final sequence with Iron Man and he finds out what really happened. Robert Downey Jr.'s best performance in any Marvel film I've ever seen. By far because you feel. And just the whole scene, and again, spoilers, I'm sorry, but if you haven't seen it, go see it. The whole idea of I don't care. If he you, killed my mom. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry you were in a coma for so long. Yeah, right. You should go out and watch it right now. Like, True. some of the goosebumps I felt, it was... 
it was so much more than just it, it felt real it felt so strong and that's why i had to include it as my number two because it's a movie that i can watch again and again and i think it has elements that allow it to be successful in so many different genres and even for me you know spider-man coming in you know the whole scene the callback to you know empire strikes back mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things it's it's a geek's perfect way it's like a it's like a five course meal of just <laughs> delicious but even if you're a casual viewer it's still a great experience you feel great by the end of it and it just leads up to okay i'm gonna get more of this in the future so that's why it's my number two uh, and and i think one of the the most fascinating things that you kind of referenced there was going back to batman v superman and you know kind of the struggles that they had well it's interesting because when you look at Civil War from an outside perspective in terms of what they were trying to accomplish with the film, it shouldn't have worked. Right. I mean, to be able to balance that many actors, that many storylines in that amount of time and in a way that it doesn't get kind of convoluted or, or mixed up, they did a remarkable job. Like, I have to agree. I think that's absolutely incredible that they managed to pull it off. So, I don't know. Did you have anything else you wanted to add on the... Uh, Oh, I guess probably not. not probably moment. not right now. Okay. <laughs> I can see where we're going over there. Um, so okay, I really struggled with these last two. Oh, um, they were bouncing back and forth and back and forth, and I'm still not sure that that that, that currently this is where it's at. This moment uh, is is, <laughs> is why it's this way. Up but, to the wire. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, <laughs> and. Um, my number two is a movie that I, I actually just watched last night, which is Collateral Beauty. Um, How was that? Okay, so here here's the thing that's interesting. is It's not getting good reviews uh, in terms of the critics, if you will, uh, which I find is interesting because a lot of the reviews that I read after I watched the movie, because I was like, well, how like, did they watch the same movie? Is there like a different Collateral Beauty movie that came out this year? But a lot of them were like, well, it's just not a funny comedy. Which I was like, well, yeah, no shit. It's not a comedy. Like, it's yeah. it, it, sure it might have a few moments of comedic relief, but it's a it's a pretty hard movie to watch so in a good way. Are people just expecting him to make Hitch again? Is that what is it, they only want him? to Yeah, make that's Hitch? what I get from that. I guess I I really I don't know because the only way that I could see people thinking it's comedy is because it's Will Smith and it's ninety minutes long. So they're just like, oh, it's gotta be, it gotta be a comedy. It's, it's not. It's, it's very much a movie about life and about loss and about grieving loss and about overcoming that and and trying to find the silver lining in all of life to move forward after you've suffered loss. Um, and it also kind of illustrates that everyone is going to suffer loss. And it, it, it's a loss of different elements of life. The, the three that they directly mention in the film is, you know, loss of time, de- uh, death, and, and of course, love. Um, but, I, you know, we were talking about the experience that you have in a theater. And, I, and it's funny, too, because we were just having a conversation not too long ago about the last movie that you, like, totally just lost it in. I didn't lose it, but, like, there was several times where I was on the edge of, like, straight out just crying. Oh, wow. Um, But I will say that entire theater, like, everyone was crying. Like, I mean, it was crazy. And it was so much to the fact that when we got done, uh, the person sitting next to us was like, wow. Like, you know, they dragged me to this movie and I thought it was going to be a chick flick. 
but it wasn't like that's you know he's like I think I need some tissues and I was like yeah I totally know what you mean like it is it's remarkable because you also have uh, and it's funny because you have Manchester by the Sea which I don't know if either one of you have seen that yet no have you? no it's getting so much critic critical pr- praise. Uh, but it deals with a very similar content. It deals with loss and grieving. And uh, to me, this film did such a better job of of capturing that and keeping a story and moving a story forward than Manchester by the Sea did. I think they both had remarkably great performances, you know what I mean? Both, uh, you know, through uh, Collateral Beauty and Manchester by the Sea. But this is like a star-studded cast. I mean, you've got Will Smith in there. You've got um, Kate Winslet, Edward Norton, Michael Pena... Um, Helen Mirren, um, Kira Knightley. I mean, like, and I thought they all did a remarkably great job at at telling the story. And again, going back to kind of like how the accountant is, when you get to the end, everything comes back full circle and it shows you how everything is connected. And you're like, wow, like they did a really great job of sitting down and actually thinking about how they were going to tell this story because... Every little detail that you go through the film is just another layer that's being added to the ultimate lasagna at the end, if you will, like <laughs> for the perfect bite of a film. And and that's what I thought they captured so well. And I mean, Will Smith's performance, like I, I still haven't seen, uh, and arguably this is probably really my own fault, but I haven't seen Pursuit of Happiness. Really? I haven't. Wow. Outside of that, though, this is by far, in my opinion, his strongest performance he's done in a movie. Like, there are times where things he's doing and you just, like, want to tear your heart out to stop feeling. So, wow. it's this really is, good. I, 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 I'll say this. I haven't seen it yet. I wanted to see it. Sure. I haven't seen it yet. And I, and I think this, one of the reasons it's getting such bad reviews, and, and this goes to the account that how much Hollywood is political, like sure. not as in uh, running for president political, but like you know who you kiss ass to or whatnot. Yeah. So last year mm-hmm. he was snubbed for his not for not getting a nomination in concussion. Oh yeah. And well, him and his wife, maybe more Jada than than him, you know, put a big hoopla about it about you know uh, people of color are not getting the mm. recognition that they need in Hollywood. And I feel like this is backlash, like because mm. there's no re- everything I've heard. At least from you and yeah. from other people that have seen the movie, that it's great. Mm-hmm. So why is it that critics are just slamming this movie left and right? I don't know. And it's funny it's because the we're only all, reason I can see it. All three of us here are critics. You know what well, I mean? Like, well, anybody's a everyone's a critic, but not not really. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's a reviewer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But not everyone's a critic. You know? I mean, like I think it's you have to have a really analytical, open mind yes. set to go in to watch a movie, and and you know. I think all of us here do that very well because so much of the fact that, you know, we do try to go back and watch them again. And, you know, uh, we were having that conversation the other day where it's like, you know, I go back and I try to deconstruct them from a, a standpoint of the filmmaking process and as well as the, the writing process. And to me, when you can watch a movie and you can't allow your brain to do that, it gets so overwhelmed by the story. Yeah. That's a great fucking story. Yes. I'm yeah, sorry. There's sure. no way around it. And that's exactly what happened with this. There wasn't, but usually in a film, there's a moment, even if it's a brief moment, where my brain's going, well, how did they light that? Well, wh- why did it, you know what I mean? And I did not have that for one second in Collateral Beauty. Like, I was so brought into the characters and what was happening and, and the performances that I never had that moment where I was like, well, how did they do that shot? Well, where did that light come from? Like, why is this being motivated this way? I never had that. And so, like, I don't know. I mean, I, 
I think you're right. I think maybe it does have to be that because I, I, I mean, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's that, or maybe there's people that just feel so uncomfortable with the thought of, of death that they don't allow themselves to take the journey that's there. I, I don't know. I don't know what, how you could not connect with this film because, and again, it's, I guess it's maybe not the best metric for determining the quality of the film, but when you're in a, a packed movie theater and everyone in there is crying as the credits are rolling, that's powerful. And I think yeah, you're very doing powerful. something right. Yeah. You're so right. that's that's you know why it's my number two. Okay, I know what I'm gonna watch this week. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to. Well, let me let me know what your thoughts are, both of you. I would I would greatly like to hear your feedback. Uh, my number two has already been mentioned uh, by someone else. The Civil arrival. War? Oh, the arrival. Oh, the arrival no. was my number two. That did you already say Civil War? I have not. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> But no, uh, uh, everything about the arrival, every from the moment I sat down until the end credit roll is passed, I enjoyed all of it. The uh, what we've already stated about it, mm-hmm. you know, what we've already gone over it, and just just the the the, the sheer volume of story that you get in that that movie, and yeah. I, to to me. Especially, you know, everything that you, you find out and then everything that, that happens is just, it really moved me. Like, it didn't move me to tears, but it, it moved me. It made me just really respect both the filmmaker and uh, the, whoever wrote the story, I didn't, which I should, probably should have looked up. But uh, that filmmaker, uh, the director, Dennis Villanueva, mm-hmm. you know, I've loved just about every movie I've seen of yep. his, so... I can't. I can't wait to see his Blade Runner uh, twenty forty nine. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's gonna be beautiful. It is. The trailer. Alone. I don't know how it can't be. God, it's amazing. And, and you know who better? Who better yeah. for a movie that's in uh, in for speaking of Blade Runner? You know, it has its its moments where people very much question everything they see in that movie. Yep. Who better to direct this newer version of it but the man who makes movies where you really have to question what is it you're seeing? Prisoners. Yep. You know, who's in the right? Who's in the wrong there? Uh, I had something else in my mind at the moment, but I don't remember what it is. But, <laughs> you know, he, I, just, I, love, I love the way he makes movies, and uh, this one is no different. So that was my number two. Let's go ahead and hit number one, Rafi. Okay, so let me start this by saying this movie hit all of my check marks. So whenever I watch a movie, it's about how immersed I feel in a movie. The narrative, do I like the story, the emotional affect, style, is there some kind of style to it that I enjoy, and then how many times I can actually rewatch it. And I'm going to say this, that for sure, Rogue One. The Star nice. Wars story, nice. That is awesome. Hit me because for me, awesome. I am a I am a Star Wars fan. I wouldn't consider myself like to completely like. Oh, I love the movies. I do really enjoy them. And I just remember going and seeing. I didn't want to see Rogue One because I was like, eh, I don't, I don't really care. That's how I felt. But I remember walking in, watching it, and just from the beginning to end, I just felt so at peace at a movie that I just saw. That not only did a great job of, you know, kind of furthering this beautiful, you know, world, but visually it was stunning. So many scenes that just made me go awesome. This looks really pretty. It had great callbacks to certain characters. That one minute scene with Darth Vader at the end, by far my favorite moment in any movie this year. But 
what it really did for me is that it reminded me about, and you said it perfectly, the magic. Mm-hmm. The magic of what cinema can do. And just thinking of just, because there was a little kid that was sitting next to me watching it. And from beginning to end, they were just enthralled. They just were watching something that was their world in that moment. And the only reason that I was able to see that, because I, I felt the same way, the performances were great. I, I laughed. I felt emotion. So many different things, right? You know, I'm one with the force. The force is with me. There were so many scenes that it made it so much more than just a franchise movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what made it so beautiful to me because I fought really hard to think, like, do I have a bias about this movie? But again, I didn't want to see it. I didn't really care for it. But sitting down and watching it, knowing late, I mean, I I knew it was a Star Wars movie, but the fact that it was a Star Wars movie added more to it. But if it wasn't part of a Star Wars movie, I thought it was great. And that's why it was my number one. That is an excellent choice. Uh, it, it, if I would have allowed myself to, to put it in there, I'm sure it would have been my number one also. But, but no, I, 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 I think you said everything, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just one of those movies, and, and we talked about it too, where it's like you can be very critical of it after the fact and be like, well, this doesn't make sense, that doesn't make sense. But it's just like what you're saying about that kid. Like, you get so immersed in it that it's just like, uh, how can you not love it? But and I, Vader, oh man, oh. so good. One of the things that I, I have to say that I did love about the movie, and it did make it in my top ten. So that's I, true. I don't want people to think that I just did not like the movie. But one of the things I loved about the movie is that it was a war movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it. And I hate war movies. I really do. But it was it was more of a war movie than any of the other Star Wars movies. Like you, you were seeing feet on the ground, boots on the ground, and stuff like that. In leaving the theater, all I want is more backstory to every one of those characters that we watched. Oh, yeah. I want more of what those guys were doing, what they did. You know, that's all I want. I want to hear more about those characters. And, you know, with it being what it is, I might not get that. But with the small amount of time that they had on screen, like they stole the show. Yeah. Donnie Yen. Incredible. Oh, yeah. Alan Tudyk as K2SO. Oh, man. Oh, my Best God. Best character, sassy robot. Yep. God. I felt so many emotions watching that movie. And then anytime you genuinely feel for, like, a completely unhuman character, like, I cared probably more for K2SO than I did any of the other characters. Yep. And then that moment, like, spoiler alert, but in that moment where he's dying, I'm like, no! Survive! Yeah. I'm like, this is bullshit. You're the robot. You have to live. Like, live to tell their story yes, at the yes, very least. Yes. Yeah. I, I think anytime a movie can do that, though, anytime a movie can make you feel for a, a non-human character, like, that's impressive. Like, Toy Story. Like, when you care about these yeah. toys... Talk about crying. Yeah. 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 Toy Story like, 3. That's powerful storytelling. It's good. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. you're number two. One. Or, well, no, I'm sorry, number yeah. one. We're going back in time. My number two. Um, yeah, we've talked about it a couple times now, was Arrival. Mm. Yeah, I, I just, I cannot get over th- that movie. Like, it just stays with you. And, and I think it stays with you so well because, you know, time. Just time in general. Like, the way that we view it and what we know of it and, and how we have all of these stories about time travel and the understanding of time and all that stuff. And, and then you see this movie where it's not necessarily about time travel per se, but it's about the perception of time and how inaccurate humans perceive it and how mythological to an extent that it is. 
the idea that uh, no, 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 go for it, go for it, jump in. Yes, the perception of time because we literally just put a label on time and we then we accept it as well. How can you go back years? It's like exactly, you're only putting it that way because that's the increment that we have put on there. Right. The the fact that they see time planier, you know, like all at once, it's just like mind blowing, but also so incredible. Just mm-hmm. uh, wow. Was well, so it you have that, and then you know the other thing that really jumps out at me with the film is the showcasing of humanity for its goods and its and its bads. Like yeah. when you have these ships that have shown up, they're not doing anything, and uh, there's this massive amount of people that are like, "We gotta fuck these up. Like we gotta kill some aliens right now. Gotta hit them before they hit us." Exactly, yep. and it's like, "Well, wait a minute." No, like, <laughs> let's not do that, you know? And so you have that moment, but then you eventually kind of progress into an element of where the aliens know what's better for us than we know what's good for us, you know? And they, yeah. they, they say, you know, I'm going to just talk spoilers. I don't think there's any, like, if, if you don't want to hear it, stop it or fast forward me. I, I think it just has to, it to be said because we've already talked a lot and I think this is a worth diving into, but you know, when you get to that moment and, and they're saying, Hey, we've come down here because we're going to need your help, but we came 3000 years before we need your help because we know it's going to take you that much time to get your differences worked out to where you can work together to come together as a species and make this right. That's a sobering moment. Right. Yeah. That's a frightening moment. It speaks volumes. When you sit there and you hear that, you're like, actually, that's probably kind of generous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've had more than that, and we've not done the greatest of jobs and might have arguably made it worse in some instances. So uh, to me, that was just such an incredible, sobering moment. Uh, uh, and to think that a person actually thought that up. And you believe it's so much coming from this alien. You're like, well, that's some that's some higher level thinking, right? There. <laughs> yeah, that's some very introspective shit on our species going down. Um, but yeah, and and this is like on a more minor note, which I probably should have led with that leading up to that, you know, kind of thing. But I also want, like really wanted to point out the designers uh, in this film because they designed that entire alien language from nothing, oh, and wow. I thought it was super super smart that they made all of their language circular much in the way that they viewed time yeah i was like yeah. that's a remarkably well thought out detail and, and just like how they view time they speak the whole sentence at once like exactly. it's yeah. a one character right. as opposed to the way we speak it linearly where we start at the beginning yep. and we end at the end fucking twitter take a note man <laughs> it's <out of> 140 <laughs> sentences <laughs> so uh, not to uh change no, the go, subject go, but yeah, uh, i don't know if anybody has seen this movie spectral that's on uh, netflix i haven't it's, it's a, i've heard good things about it right it's, it's a great movie it's a great sci-fi movie um it's not my number one but i just want to bring it up because there's a part in the movie where uh a scientist uh, an inventor he he uh is trying to explain that uh the person who, because okay, basically it, it's it, the idea is that it's ghosts. The, the this guy invents this new goggles that can see different lights of the spectrum, and the soldiers are seeing this thing that are attacking them, but they have no idea what it is, and it can't be recorded any other way than on this light spectrum. And so uh, the girl that that brings him brings the scientist in says it's a person that's uh, using a new kind of camo, and uh, the the guy who's uh, this, the general that's above her says. Well, it's obviously a, a weapon that we're seeing different ways of. And the scientist says, look, 
You see it as camel because that's the kind of person that you are. You see it as a weapon because you're the, the army general. I see it as a problem because I'm a scientist. I need to see it that way. And that comes to the same thing with, with this movie. The Chinese general wants to attack them because he sees them as an enemy. Mm-hmm. And, and it even, they even bring it up with the way that they, uh, they learned to communicate. The Chinese played chess with them. Yep. So thus, everything yep. was a was attack Those or defense. Details. Yep. They used it. They brought in a, a linguist, a person mm-hmm. to learn the language. So she sees it as something completely different. It's just like uh, the way that you, I'm getting tingles just thinking about the movie right now. But the way that you 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 perceive has to do with exactly who you are. So, but I also thought, and just kind of jumping in on what you're saying, I also thought it was really smart to have. Uh, the contrastive nature between Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. Yes. Because it's so often that we hear, well, math is the universal language. It's true. And it's like, well, obviously it's not. <laughs> yeah. It can be if you are a mathematician, and I think that goes back to what you're saying. Like, yes. it's all about your yes. perception of your environment. Um, and I think it's it's fascinating to, to kind of get that exploration of, of the human psyche from so many different elements. It's, it's truly a crazy film. Like, just crazy attention and with that I mean also just the characterization of Amy Adams the fact that the whole movie you're you're looking at these scenes of her with her daughter Mm -hmm. and you're thinking that it's again spoiler you're thinking that it's a flashback right but again the whole movie it goes full circle it's starting at the end to the beginning it's all going but the choices that she has to make I thought to me that was what made it worthwhile just the fact that this person could go through all of these things these trials and tribulations because I mean arguably there's nothing worse than losing your child Mm -hmm. but she goes with it she knows it's going to happen but she goes with it anyway and I mean something that I felt wasn't a big part of the movie but I think was very important was Jeremy Renner's character saying you chose wrong right right Mm -hmm. Right. again it's that that humanism within it's it's multi-layered this movie just layer upon layer and the more you watch it the different things you can learn to appreciate and I think that's what makes it such a fantastic viewing experience completely agree so with that all being uh, with all that being said said, what is your number one uh, if you haven't guessed yet (laughs) (laughs) uh, Captain America Civil War was Ah, my number one and if I had done what you've done and just completely omitted it I might still have brought came up with Captain America Civil War (laughs) because even after watching that movie and I, I remember saying it distinctly that this is not only the best comic book movie that I've ever seen but the best movie like it is everything that I've ever wanted to see on the big screen so you're just done then I'm done you I can mean, never watch another movie now no there could be another I'm movie just, I don't, I don't see things the same way the arrival no, aliens do <laughs> I, yeah. well that's a shame we're gonna have to work on it uh, yeah no that's awesome like Rafi was saying earlier and you were also saying you know the idea that so many characters were on the screen, but yet every single one of them is given the it's their due. Like every mm-hmm. one of them is 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 they even added in two new characters, Black Panther and Spider Man, and we still yep. got to get yep. good amount from everybody. Even Hawkeye, who you know a lot of I don't say this, but a lot of people say it's like the weakest of the of the Avengers in this in these sets of movies, is still got to get you know his in. Mm-hmm. He still got to be look. I tried doing the retirement thing. I got bored with golf. You know, that's the, it's just everything about that movie was great. And then you have this a massive airport fight scene. And it's incredible because it was everything that like I've ever done as a comic book reader. I said, 
you don't have just the fights between Captain America and Iron Man. You don't and when you and your friends are like, well, who would actually win? How about who would win between Ant Man and Iron Man? Well, we yeah. got to see that. Yep. Who would win between uh, Black Panther and uh, and Captain America? We got to see that. You know, there's no definitive winner, but we got to see them fight. It was incredible. Then you have this storyline where Helmet Baron Zemo, or he's not Baron in that, but Zemo in this mm-hmm. came up with this whole thing. He's like, I didn't. I don't need to destroy you guys. You're going to do it yourselves. It, yeah, it's, yeah. It's true. He wins at the end. He does. Because the, the, the Avengers are separated. Yeah. Tony can't trust Captain America anymore. Cap still wants to be there for him, but he's like, no, you you were protecting the man that killed my mother. Yeah. I, you know, and, and that was another thing. He, he's, not, he's not like, he killed my mother and father. Eh, him and his father have a, a, a very strange relationship, and they've they've delved into that before. But you, he killed my mother, you know. That was, and everybody has that feeling, you know. Someone hurts your mom, ugh, it's just bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It, there's nothing. It was close. It was close between Arrival and Captain America: Civil War. It's understandable. It was so close for me, but Captain America still pulled but it out. Did, I did like up that you you brought up. Uh, I mean, you said the introduction of two new characters, which, in an essence, yes, one is uh, sort Panther of. Is, yes. Well, no, no, no. I was I was speaking more about Spider-Man because like, okay. it's the new reimagining of him. So it is the first yeah. introduction of the new Spider-Man, right. but he is someone that we have had cinematically out there. But Black Panther, I again a character that I know very little about, but like one of the most badass characters in the movie. Oh, yeah. And, like, they set it up so well that you're just like, oh, I cannot wait for an hour and a half, two hours of just this guy (laughs) fucking shit up. (laughs) It's so good. Like, and and, uh, I forget the guy, uh, what is it, Edgia 4 that plays him? Or who's the actor? I can't remember his uh, name. Um, Yeah. uh, Chadwick. uh, Yes. Chadwick Boseman. Right. He... What a perfect casting job they did with that. Like, and my gosh, like, I just, I cannot wait for, for... that movie but you know to be able to put all those people on screen and balance it and then not only balance it but to give you this character and be like like you said the two new characters and be like you guys are gonna want more of this yeah. like you don't even understand it yet but you're gonna want so much more and, the, and you do our first introduction to uh, Peter Parker in the movie mm-hmm. like they, they the Russo brothers listen to the fans I, they I do, feel yeah. they oh, really absolutely. do because everybody says Oh, we're getting a new Spider-Man? Please don't give us the origin again. We don't yeah. need to hear it. We don't need to see it. Because we just finished watching it in two different Spider-Mans. Right. So, what do they do? They have Robert Downey... Or we have Tony Stark sitting in a room with him, and Peter Parker's just about to tell him, well, there was this time with my... I don't care. That's yep, what Tony yep. Stark tells him. Yep. It's just like, yes, we don't care because we know it. You know, we don't need to rehash it. And he It's literally the directors coming in and saying, we're not going to tell it to you. Yeah, there's something for everybody. There's something there for, like, hardcore fans of comic books, something there for casual fans. It has elements of everything that you would want in a good movie. And I think that's important to, to really recognize. Yes. And, and it was the, a great culmination for not only the, the Marvel Universe up to that point, the Marvel Cinematic Universe... But also just the Captain America trilogy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, I I love the first Avenger. I like it more than I like uh, Winter Soldier. Okay. And I like the Winter Soldier a lot. I think that movie was a great too. Yeah. And the fact that they were able to make it a espionage movie, like you said, 
you know, uh, within another genre movie. But there were so many, like you said, there were so many callbacks to the, those two, two, two movies. And then I went into, like, when they announced that it was going to be Civil War, I was like, but we had this open-ended storyline from Winter Soldier that I want to know what else is going to happen there. We got that. Mm-hmm. We got the closing of the Winter Soldier story, or at least partly closing of it. We got to see more of that, plus the Civil War storyline. Yeah. And I was a huge fan of the Civil War comic book line. Like, that story. It, it yeah. blew my mind. Did we get that whole thing in, in the movie? No. Could we have gotten that whole thing? No. no because no. there's so no much way. that you couldn't do in a two-hour movie. You'd have right. to do almost just like a trilogy or an ongoing Netflix show yeah, of just let, that. Well, let alone not having the characters that are owned by Fox. Right. You know, yeah. it, it just right. wouldn't do justice to it. But we got such a great version of it. And it's just a mm-hmm. movie that I truly, truly love. So I can't talk more about that movie. I, I could. I could talk <laughs> for another two hours. But that was our top ten. Top 2016 ten. in Woo-hoo. film. Great year in movies. Uh, you know, at first, thinking about having to do this list, I was like, there wasn't that many great movies. But there was. There, I, I really felt there was. There was at least ten. There were at least <laughs> ten, plus, ten yeah. plus because yeah. we had some we that did. weren't on each other's list. Absolutely. So. And a taste of everything. You know, if you like more of those art house type films where maybe you don't want so much of a narrative but something, you know, beautiful to look at. Sure. Movies that are comic book, you know, blockbusters. We have that. We had popcorn films. We had yeah. horror films. We had suspense uh, thrillers. pieces. Animated films. Yeah. Animated, it's, yeah. So, and that showcases, again, the beauty of the movies. Why do people go to the movies? And it can be many different answers, but most people want a form of escapism. Or some people, again, they just want something that they can appreciate for what it is. Mm -hmm. Because, again, we want stories. And I think these stories were some of the best that were told. Mm -hmm. Stylistically, narratively, acting, however you want to pull it out. But it really showcased some strong character work from so many fantastic actors and directors. Best way to put it. There you have it, people. Rafa, where can other people find you? So if you ever want to listen to my beautiful voice, everybody, <laughs> uh, you can always check out my uh, my YouTube channel, Mobile Rafi, where I just talk about the things that I love. Because again, with movies, it's all about passion. And we forget what you are passionate about. And so why not you know, delve into it? But if you want to go more into the idea of films, I have a Twitter called Rafa at the Movies, where I, you know, in 140 characters, talk about the movies that I watch. And I try to watch them then and there, and then talk about the things that work the best about them. With no fluff, just big words to showcase what I think and then something new is me and my good friend Andy we do Randy at the movies not sexually (laughs) where we go and we watch and again you know talk about the movies because we believe that every movie is an adventure so why not join us on the journey but those are the best places to, to find me. Probably the hardest working man in social media right now. <laughs> I'm if, trying. If you ever, if you, ever you, know, you definitely follow him. Follow everything that he has to say. He, his Twitter he even gets into comic books and you know uh, anime too. So there's just everything for everybody. I get uh, uh, just a tangent uh, sidetrack for a moment. What the fuck is Twitter doing? Like you can't even continue to sc- like you literally now on the mobile app you get to a point where it just stops. Yep. You cannot go farther wow. back in the timeline. And then like they started doing all this crap where like the the stuff that I really want to see I don't even it, it doesn't even pop up anymore. Yeah. It just gives me like four hey you missed this and I'm like okay well yeah that's 
Yeah, I did, but that's why I wanted to scroll all the way through my timeline forever. <laughs> Fix it, Twitter. It's a way to archive our memories, thoughts, and passions. Right? So true. I need people to hear my voice, and if you're you're choosing what they see, they yeah. might not get to see me. Exactly. <laughs> and I also just discovered the mute button recently, which is fantastic. Yes. Well, there you go. Uh, turning because, off yeah. retweets and, and yeah. turning out and muting certain bots, you know, is yeah. definitely great. Well, there's also other people that like follow me, and so I like kind of feel obligated to follow them back. So I did, but then I see some of the stuff they post, and I'm like, eh. I, don't, I don't need this. But then I'm like, well, if I unfollow them, they're gonna probably unfollow me. But then I'm like, that's kind of petty. But I just mute them now, yeah. which is still petty, but eh, I feel a little better about. It. Hey, everybody needs the followers. And we're professionals, so we need to be able to produce good content, and sometimes we can't get muddied up in the in the works of it. <laughs> That's very true. That's a very valid point. I like that. Well, what about you, Richard? And uh, we usually end it, but uh, where, where can people find you? Um, so, yeah. So, you can find me on the, the Twitter sphere as well. I'm at, at Ry Cohen, so at R-I-C-O-W-N. I also am on uh, Facebook at that same name, and I also have a YouTube channel, which uh, currently... Pretty much just a lot of Grand Theft Auto fucking around. So, <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't really have a lot of structured stuff on there yet, um, but I, I'm definitely working on that. I, I kind of started up a new series that I need to be a little bit more active with, but I um, basically what I did was I started taking the cars in Grand Theft Auto and actually making commercials for them. That's sick. Right? And so cool. uh, I have one up already, which is uh, kind of a very traditional car commercial for the Grotty Cheetah. And I'm working on another one that will come out shortly that's going to be a lot more kooky and comical, and I think people enjoy it. So, so what yeah. you need to do now is you need to get a person that does, uh, like, celebrity impressions and then have them that's do true. the voiceover for the commercial. Because you always... That's you, true. I always hear it, like, when I'm watching TV and then all of a sudden someone's voice, I'm like, that sounds so familiar. Oh, it's John Hamm. John Hamm's doing a voiceover for a car commercial. And I'm like... Huh, but right. it's not. It's like actually like diet John Ham. Like it's not the real John Ham. It's just like somebody that like sounds really close to him. And they're like I John bet. Ham White. Right? Yeah. Could be. Yeah. It's like I, John Spam is. Uh, is <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, but no, I, I definitely will have to do that. That's pretty good. So what about you? Where can uh, well, and yeah, I should also mention you know obviously Geekly Radio and I do We Are Entertained. So look up all that stuff too. It's great. <laughs> there you and go. Over to Mitch. Uh, my my Twitter is at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Uh, that's where I do most of my talking if you want to converse with me. Uh, but if you want to get a hold of anybody on Geek Elite Radio, it's at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. Geek Elite Radio is our uh, Facebook page. And geekeliteradio.com is our website where you can check out archived episodes of podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio network. Uh, but... Until next year. That's right. Next year. <laughs> Couple days. This is uh, Geek Elite Radio saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.